Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome in Smashbox TV podcast 444. It's a lot of Johnny fours. B. Yeah, it is. Not what you want I on our golf course. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy. No, not this weekend. Plenty mm. of twos and threes with only a couple fours available. And uh, our very special guest tonight is going to give us four hours and 44 minutes of his time. I'm going to have Calvin Heimer join us in just a few moments. But, yeah, crazy. Obviously, Disc Golf Pro Tour kicking off here this first weekend of the 2023 Elite Series, I, I always try to keep in mind that, of course, the 2023 season, in a sense, kicked off last year with the two Silver Series events that then were earning points for this season. So when it comes to the Elite Series, a four-round event, Las Vegas Challenge, a regular Disc Golf Pro, was it a Disc Golf Pro Tour Plus event? I, there's so many different distinctions now. Uh, I'm not sure I keep them all straight, but it was a four-round event, and it was a Las Vegas Challenge this weekend. So. Here we are. Have we officially started the season then with that, Johnny? Or did the All-Star break do that? Or the All-Star No, break? this is the All-Star break is still kind of preseason mumbo jumbo. This is the official start of the season. We have results. We have uh heartbreak. We've got ankle breaking. We've got a lot of different things that we're going to talk about tonight. There's everything and anything under the sun. All right. Well, then we're not going to waste any time because coming in from the Sunshine State, he already got his private jet. They did the tour of Hoover Dam. They did the tour of Las Vegas. Let him pick out any condo or house that he wanted there. And then he said, all right, just get me in the jet and get me back to my Sunshine State. I don't have time to be visiting my vacation properties. Of course, our champion, Calvin Heimberg, tonight. Hi, Calvin. Hey, Terry. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing? Which one? John Baker, John. Wow. So <laughs> my computer thought I was asking Siri a question. 
uh, I mean, uh, I've been mixed up with Siri before, so I guess that makes sense. Uh, welcome in, Calvin. Officially kicking off our 2023 season. Of course, dramatic fashion, heartbreak if you're a prodigy and Kevin Jones fan. But, I mean, you've been breaking hearts all your life, haven't you, buddy? I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe a few last weekend. I don't know. Um, so you're back in uh, home, Safety Harbor area, right? Is that the general mm-hmm. area? Yep, yep, I'm back in Florida. You know, a lot of people, you know, let's get right to the conversation where a lot of people say they're, they go to Vegas, but then there's this weekend off for, for many to then go to Waco. And, in fact, I feel like some of our players are saying, you know what, I'm not even going to go to Vegas. I'm just going to pick up in Waco and take the extra two weeks to prep for that. Is, is, that, is the schedule need a, a tweak for that exact reason or no? Um, I don't know. I think it um, kind of allows people to kind of do whatever they want. But, I mean, I know for me personally, um, I fly out to Vegas. You know, it was a handful of years ago where whatever the snowstorm rolled across the southeast and it took me way longer than I was supposed to to drive out there. And uh, I just said I was never driving out there again. So pretty much means I always fly to uh, Vegas if it's the beginning of the season. Um I, I mean, people can play the Memorial. I, I don't know how many people are, are actually going to Texas to practice for Waco early. I feel like it's probably more likely they're just, you know, having their own off week or um, doing some other smaller tournament. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is a lot of driving early on in the season if you do decide to play, you know, Vegas and then Memorial and then all the way into Texas. Like, those aren't – and none of those are very close to each other. I mean, it would benefit you if – what everybody else is saying is that the tour started in Florida, worked its way through Texas, and I mean, home state, good, you know, decent weather probably that time of year. I, I can't imagine that. Uh, I mean, it logistically it makes sense, but I don't know. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes of the pro tour, though. So, yeah, I know there's been talks about doing stuff in Florida for for kind of a while. Um, we had that Silver Series in Tallahassee last year. Um, I guess it didn't make the cut for this year's Silver Series events again. I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, they generally run a really good tournament, and I think the course is pretty solid. But I'd love to see some kind of tour stop down in Florida. You know, it would be great if it was at the beginning of the year. That's a whole lot less driving for for me. And, it, I mean, it's, you know, it's the flip side for anyone on the West Coast. They probably love the Vegas tournament starting the year because it's closer to home. But, um you know, we just kind of roll with whatever is given to us. And uh, Vegas being the start is, has been the uh, hand we've been dealt for, for quite a while now. Yeah, and I, I think I did the officially did the math the other day because I was curious about, well, I didn't get out a protractor or a compass or do any algebra, but Harry doesn't do I Googled math. it. Yeah, I was going to say I Googled it. And it looks like it's, uh, I think, almost exactly 19 hours from Vegas to Waco. So someone like yourself, as you're saying, to drive out to Vegas to then to turn around and backtrack a full 19 hours, that's one of the longer clips that you guys yeah. would take in the season. Now, you have an extra week to do it, but a lot of people are saying, yeah, I don't want to go all the way out there just to turn around and backtrack. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think of a Paige Pierce as maybe one of your best examples of just saying, yeah, I'd rather just have the full two weeks off and then start back up in Waco. Um, as an example, or a Kristen Tatar, who, you know, clearly is going to come here for an extended period of time, 
but says, right. well, I don't want to have that week off and, and make that big long trip right, right away. So early in the season, but nonetheless, you're here, you're there, wherever you were, you won it. And uh, it's, it's so easy to say, Oh, these courses set up for Kelvin. I feel like what course doesn't set up well for you, you know, low, power line drives, these give you a little bit more room. But do these courses excite you in that sense that you feel like they're really good for your game? Um, I don't think the courses, like, necessarily excite me. Um, I mean, like, my favorite course is Maple Hill, so it's drastically different to, you know, what the Vegas courses offer. But um, it's always exciting to go out there at the beginning of the year and, and get back in the tournament swing and, and just play, play competitive disc golf. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much always excited to get out there, but, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say they excite me. I do think they probably suit my game pretty well. Um, just, I mean, you can look at places I've won in the past and it's kind of all similar style courses, whether it's Vegas, Jonesboro, you know, you got to throw far to, to play well at D-Glow. So, um, Memorial, another place I won a while ago. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, it definitely sets up well for me. But I think some of it also is it's beginning of the season and coming from being able to winter in a warm state where I actually get to play, you know, prior to the beginning of the season a little more than some of the other competitors. I think I'm probably just a little bit sharper in some regards. Um so I think that also benefits me when it comes out to uh, to Vegas. I mean these these Vegas courses obviously they're known for their distance, their we'll say their lack of trees. But I feel like this these courses require some at least when you get to the greens, they require a little bit of thought because on almost every one of these greens you have a chance for a roll away, you have a chance for maybe a hazard. So while I think it gets you in throwing far gets you in position to score Ultimately, you need to complete the, the you need to complete the hole in as few strokes as possible. If I believe that's how the scoring works in our in our game, but you need to be able to put that's it in the basket. This year, that's an update. That's this year's an update. Good, perfect. I wasn't yeah. sure how they were going to play it this year, but you, honestly, you need to be able to putt it at these courses, and you need to yeah. be able to do it without going OB. Because I saw a lot of it. Saw a lot of people miss putts, roll OB, or just flat out approach and go OB what what's your mentality on these courses do you feel like these should be attacked because we saw how Kevin Jones kind of finished out the round and it seemed to have hurt him yeah I mean I think a lot of it is pretty pretty situational out there how you're feeling about your game a lot of the greens do set up for uh, you know skips into OB or if you miss a putt they can roll pretty far away because every the ground is super super hard, fast, whether the disc is skipping or just rolling. So I think you, every situation is probably a little bit different. Um, I definitely played pretty aggressive this weekend. And, you know, there were times where it, it definitely bit me and there was other times where it, it didn't. Um, I mean, like, I think, I, I don't know exactly how many times, but I probably went OB like close to a dozen times over over the course of the, the tournament. So, um it's it's not like uh, I played like super clean, but as far as like coming down the stretch of the tournament, um, I honestly don't know. Like if we're talking like the last four holes, um, I don't know if I would have really done much different if I was if I was Kevin. Like I don't 
like I might, I probably would have thrown maybe a slightly more aggressive shot on, on 15 um, to maybe give myself a better look at birdie, but um, 16, there's pretty much no chance I'm going for that in his situation. Um, I'm definitely going to force the person to try to push the issue there. 17 into that headwind, it's like the same thing. I'm going to try to force the person to to push the issue. Um, he did get to watch me throw on 17, which, uh, I mean, I, I threw pretty hard and I was somewhere in circle two, maybe like 50 feet away. So, And there's a lot of risk even going for it in that situation. So um, really, like, I don't, I don't know if, like, Kevin's game plan really, like, like bid him. I mean, I, I definitely executed a couple pretty amazing shots coming down the stretch. And, uh, I mean, he was tied going into the last hole, so he gave himself a chance to win. He just happened to throw it too low and uh, go OB off the tee. But um, I don't know. I've definitely seen a lot of people talking about Kevin's, Kevin's gameplay being conservative, being, like, the wrong play. But, like, when I'm looking – I, I I think like if I'm looking at it going to the last four holes, he probably wins the tournament playing conservative more times than not. Like, like I don't go and birdies hole 15 and 16 that many times. Yeah. I and think if I don't birdie those like him playing conservative on 17 is fine. And then he's chipping down 18 for the win. Yeah. I think you're right. And really the only, to me, the only hole where it was really maybe questionable was 15, like not attacking it a little bit more. He it looked like he kind of laid up, but you're right. After that, if you look at, all the numbers for you to birdie two of those, especially 15 and 16 and him to, in theory, put himself into a position on 18. I don't think he made necessarily the wrong decision at all. Um, I mean, as we saw on 18, you got, I mean, you threw a pretty good drive, but still got a little lucky, barely making it over that sidewalk and sticking in the ground that could have easily hit and rolled back into the water. Um, as we saw a few other people do, it looked like you just barely made it over, over just over the sidewalk. Kevin kind of just hit some nature, honestly, just the wind picked up at the wrong time and slammed his disc down. And that was all at that point. That was all she wrote until uh, I know he gave 18 a run, but you can't expect, you know, another holy shot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely uh, was cutting it close there on 18 off the tee box. Um, definitely was more aggressive than I was planning for. I pulled it a little. Uh, I already said that. Um but uh, it, it was in bounds, so it definitely put a lot of pressure on Kevin, and his disc just got slammed way more by the wind than than mine. So um, definitely put him in a not so uh, great situation. I mean, even if he had found a way to get up and down um, from you know throwing, where he's throwing three, um, you know, I, I was pretty far down there. Didn't I probably could have thrown a closer approach, even even from where I was playing conservative. I think I was somewhere around circle's edge. So. Yeah. Um, once he threw out of bounds, it was uh, it was pretty much in my hands. You know, I, I could pretty much determine my own fate. Well, you know, you said in the interview with me right afterwards that you felt you, like you still had a, a lunkhead move or two or a, um, you made lunkhead mistakes, whatever it was. Uh, where do you feel like you made some mistakes uh, while you were trying to close out? Um, I, I think – if I'm talking about like the very finishing, I mean, so obviously for me, like after I took that, that double bogey on seven, uh, I knew I was going to have to play extremely well to have any kind of chance. Um, cause I'm, I think at that point I might've been four back. Um, I threw my approach on, what is it? Nine. I threw my approach on nine out of bounds, which, 
you just can't do from where I was. It was that's a pretty big mm-hmm. mistake for my position where I was four back with ten to go. Um, but I got fortunate there where you know Kevin Kevin went in the in the bunker while he was putting for birdie. So I ended up gaining a stroke even though I made a mistake. But um, I think one of the really biggest ones for me is I threw an awful approach on fourteen uh, coming down the stretch. Great tee shot down dead center, really far down the fairway. And I sawed my second shot off. It was awful. Like, you can't ask for a more routine approach there. All you have to do is take something kind of overstable. Like, I'm not even taking anything, like, super fast. I'm just taking overstable. And you throw it flat and let it skip off that golf green into the hill. And I threw the thing on hyzer. And honestly, like, I let go of it, and I thought there was a chance it was going to go out of bounds left. So that shot was pretty terrible. Um but I got away with it. So, um, and, but it required me once I had missed out on birdie at that point, like it required me to play extremely well coming down the stretch, like 15 and 16, getting those birdies into the, into the headwind. Like I, I don't know how many times out of a hundred, I get both of those. It's not, it's not high. It may be like one or two. Like, I don't Yeah, You were the only yeah, person in the field to get both of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I what I was thinking uh, specifically on fifteen, I was I was dead center, directly behind the basket, almost to a point where I could barely even see you guys teeing off. And as that was coming in, I literally was yelling, "Go in, go in!" Like the way that it flexed and then was heading directly for the basket. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, she's going to ace this!" And then it went deep. Clearly, not a lot of people going deep on that hole at least not without a roller or something. Uh, so the fact that you obviously were able to get up and down, you know, I was just looking a minute ago, it said that it was the sixth most difficult hole on the course. S- somehow there was still, um, you know, I don't know, 12 or 15 birdies, but that that feels very much like a bonus birdie, even mm-hmm. even for someone of your skill set, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would also say... With like, a headwind. Yeah, especially I, I just with the wind, it just it's definitely a bonus birdie. And then tee times that final day were super spread out. And I mean, I wasn't out there all day, but I'm it, to me at least, it felt like the conditions slowly deteriorated as the day went on. Like it was way windier at the end of my round than it was at the beginning. So, um, I mean, like you can look at those stats where it says there was I don't know however many birdies you just said there there was, and. Um, I think there would probably be less if every single person in the field played the hole at the time that we did. Yeah, there were 13 on the day. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at – wait, how did Sexton get it? Come on. <laughs> yeah, he had a 49-footer, it says. But, um, you know, yeah, looking at a ton of the names, they came through a little bit earlier than you. And then I see Burr, Gossage, Ellis, Macbeth, and yourself. But and, – and most people, I mean, almost – most people weren't from within circle one. We'll say that uh, like you were. Yeah. So it was uh, certainly, I, I don't know. I'll, it was just so dead center. I wish I, I, you, you'll never go watch it, but from the catch cam angle, I have to assume it looked like it was coming right in. Cause I, I was yelling for it. It was, uh, it was pretty incredible to see. Um, so of course, I, you have to be in the, the same camp as everyone else that you love going to just the two-course format. Is that is that a given out there as opposed to playing three different courses and practicing them? 
Yeah, I'm, I was super happy about that. Um, one last course just makes practice quite a bit easier. Um, when you have three courses and you have to essentially learn everything in three days, it doesn't really yield for that good of practice and being that prepared for every layout that you're going to see. So um, seeing two courses instead of three was a huge improvement in my mind. Um, and I think they kept us on the two more challenging courses, which I also appreciated. Um, I know the infinite course, which we have played in the past, is extremely scorable. I mean, all the courses are scorable if the conditions are good, but that course, even in kind of adverse conditions, like you'll see people, I mean, it's the one you always see people going like nine down through nine to start the event. It used to always be their first mm -hmm. round course. So um, not really the style of golf I, I love to see. Uh, and pretty happy with the change to eliminate that from uh, the MPO play. Yeah, and I, I'll go as far as saying I think that has led in the past to some people being even more comfortable with skipping it and saying, I don't want to go play the three different courses over the four days. And uh, so, I mean, they've eliminated that, and hopefully that, you know, it, the the event seems that much more appealing. And we'll, and as long as it's the opener, it's obviously always going to come out with a bang. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's just a matter of will that next weekend, which is traditionally the memorial, will that either get filled with some other event that's a pro tour stop or will they have to, you know, possibly start the tour or, or, or we'll just keep doing what we're doing and everyone deals with it. I mean, it's like you said, it's becoming more common and practical for some of our players to actually just fly into an event and then fly back home 10 years yeah. ago. Like only the only Ken Climo could afford to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> Waco, uh, I, I guess the schedule would assume that Waco and everything else is pretty much status quo for you in terms of where we'd expect to see you for the rest of the year. Is there anything out of the yeah. ordinary? Um, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, I'll be out there in Texas, you know, starting next week, um, getting things all packed up at home currently, but um, sometime later this week, I'll start my drive out to, to Waco and I'll be out there for all three Texas events, uh, whatever it's Waco, the open at Austin. And then uh, I guess, I think Texas States is in Houston this year. So um, I'll be out there for all three of those. Um, but yeah, as far as my, the rest of my schedule, I think it's pretty cut and dry. I'm going to be at, most of the elite series actually i think all the elite series is my current plan and then all elite series majors and then a couple of the uh, silver series so so i part of that question i guess you know you just answered it about being in texas does it pain you or or disappoint you in any way that you're also then foregoing a couple of of favorite florida-based events uh, obviously, I think of Throw Down the Mountain, which I know I'll be covering in a post-production format, along with the Tallahassee event that you just complimented. Um, does it kind of pain you that, I mean, it makes sense to be in Texas for those events and those tour points, but you're going to miss mm -hmm. a couple of the uh, the really high-level events in Florida, too. Yeah, I mean, um, I truly enjoy playing Throw Down the Mountain. Uh, it's one of my favorite places to go and play. Um, and I actually technically could still play it. It's whatever. It's the week between the uh, Texas States uh, Silver Series and the Nashville Elite Series. 
but mm-hmm. it just adds like an ex- a ton of driving. Um, I've contemplated flying into it, but um, I think at this point I've kind of procrastinated too much <laughs> to where I, I'm probably just not going to play anything that weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be missing the Florida swing um, for the, I don't know. I I don't know if I've missed throwdown in a while, but um, so that is a little disappointing, but I am a little more focused on just making sure I'm ready for the elite series and silver series this year, chasing after, you know, as many points as I can. And um, I think those are, you know, while throwdown mountains fun, I think those other events are more important for me at this point. Yeah, understandable. I it's it's just I know, you know, Paul is playing, for instance, in both of the Florida events. And I think just a lot of people are having that conversation of although Texas individually, I think a lot of them, well, obviously in Texas, they run a bunch of great events. But some people kind of feel like, yeah, the Texas swing kind of wears on me because it's three or four straight weekends and in Texas. And I just get Mm -hmm. this impression that the players think, yeah, I'm kind of ready to move on. Not and that's no disrespect to any of the individual events. I think it's just a matter of like, yeah, we're in Texas for a whole month and that seems like it's maybe a little bit I don't know, uh intense for them or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um I wouldn't say Texas is my favorite place to play either. Um I mean, you start off at Waco, which is an interesting one. Um, it's kind of like, I feel like you go to that one and it's literally any person that signs up can win that tournament. Um, (laughs) for me, it's like a complete dice roll. Um, there's just like, it's just, I I would say it's like one of the shorter courses we play relative to to Mm -hmm. par, or at least it feels that way. Like, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of shots that are just kind of chipping around the woods. And then even by the time you get out, out into the open, uh, for the final stretch, like there's some, there's, there's just holes that like, they're not really that, they're not long par fours and like they might've changed some of the pars to par threes, but then they're just like extremely rare birdie get. So like, they're just kind of like these weird tweener holes that, um, I don't, I don't think really separate for the field unless there's some kind of crazy win. So, um, that one always starts off the Texas swing. Uh, it's kind of a weird one. I feel like to show up to cause I, I don't know. It, I just, <laughs> I, I, I have no clue where I'm going to finish. I could finish in the top five or I could finish in 38th and I probably won't feel that different about how I played. So um, <laughs> what does that say when like Coling goes, goes, you know, to the, to the, you know, podium back to back years there. I mean, there's you know, does that say anything about him or his game or uh, a, a comparison to Charlotte or anything like that? Or does lightning just strike twice? What, what do you, what do you make of that? No, I mean, I think it's pretty impressive. Um, he obviously did what it took to and executed um, all those little technical shots in the, the wooded section. Uh, a lot of them are, are on the shorter end. Um, and a lot of them I feel like do favor, little chippy forehands. So I think it does suit his game pretty well. Um, but I think there's a lot of people in the field that kind of have those shots at that distance these days. That's kind of why I feel like at this point, um, it's kind of anyone's game. Uh, like I, I think I could win in Waco, but as I said, I could also take 35th place and I wouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, you've, then, um, you've kind of run the gamut at Waco, just looking back at the history. I mean, you were 27th a few years ago. You were four, I think you were 4th last year. You were 10th two years ago. I mean, you, you have honestly bounced back. Or no, two, uh, I'm sorry, 2021, you were 4th place. Last year, you were 16th. So it uh, it does kind of feel like that, that particular course can... You can be off by just a tiny fraction... And it's a, it feels like it's a matter of 10 places. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I, I mean, I'm sure it makes it exciting. Um, as a viewer, um, you're probably going to get to see some new faces at Waco. I feel like there's new faces every year at Waco. And, um, but I don't know. I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorite tour stops. I, I go there and we just see how the dice roll for me that weekend. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, you know, I want to touch like, on, Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, go I'm ahead. just saying the rest of the Texas swing this year, it's like basically courses. I don't know if anyone's really really had the chance to play too much. I, I think I heard both the Houston and Austin courses are, are kind of new. Mm. So, so I don't really know what to expect from the rest of the Texas swing this year. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm personally not working either of those other two events. I know I'm going to be working Waco from the booth, and then the other two events. I know Nate Perkins is stepping in and doing some stuff on the sideline. Um, so I'll be interested to watch that from afar and see how those unfold, especially with some of those events moving around or kind of having newer courses. Um, you know, I want to speak to something you just said a minute ago about not feeling very different between 5th or 35th or whatever. Today, uh, here at the Memorial, I, I ran into AB and Adam Hammes, along with team manager in, in Bob Julie over at Discraft. And Hammes just, you know, he, he finished 30th. And he's like, that felt great. The, the field is tough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. not that he wants to finish 30th, but Bob was like, yeah. That's great. Hammes was like, yeah, I felt good about it. I didn't even feel bad about it. Like, speak to the competitiveness just overall, you know, for, for an elite level player like yourself or a Hammes or whomever, speak to how competitive it is every single weekend. And, and, and should we tamper our expectations of people like you to, you know, that maybe expect you to win every weekend or be top three every weekend? I drafted you in my fantasy league, so you better be. Ooh, oh, shit. Okay. Now there's pressure. Right. Okay, oh, now yeah. real pressure. Okay, so speak <laughs> yeah, to the Johnny V Fantasy League pressure and, and just how competitive the field is, though. Yeah, I mean, the field gets better and better every year. Um, everyone's just becoming way more consistent. And with with every shot, you kind of have to have every shot these days. So the whole field's getting more competitive and, like, your room for air is definitely shrinking. Um I do think that um, there are some events where, I don't know, I, there are definitely going to be horses for events still. Like some events are going to favor some people. So like maybe like my expectations somewhere are going to be a little better than somewhere else. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I still think you have, you know, your your top level talent that are still probably going to be pushing for the majority of, of wins no matter where it is. Um and then you just have like the next level of people that are when they have their weekend, they're pushing as well. But uh, I do think there are more people pushing into that that second level um, of talent to where, you know, you might see some new winners. Uh, yeah, this is, a I know, a pretty big 
overarching question, but I think I look back to, we were talking about Throwdown, thinking about the history and whatnot. I, I'm going to assume you and I then met, was it was it Throwdown 2015? Does that sound right to you? Yeah, it sounds somewhere around the right, 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. That was probably the first time yeah. that you had Throwdown. That was I'm Throwdown sorry. number three. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't see, I didn't see, uh, unless you maybe won, no, you, you were, you were playing pro in 2014 and it didn't look mm-hmm. like you played throw down the mountain that year. And I'm, I was pretty sure that I met you at throw down the mountain. So throw down the mountain, 2015, 20- he took sixth place in MPO. Yeah. And, uh, that might've, that might've been the weekend, Calvin, that changed our lives forever. Forever. Uh, can't, can't turn back the clock now. <laughs> no, we we've can't. all tried. Trust we've me. all tried <laughs> in one way or another. Uh, I just think that you know that's that's eight years ago. You know, I remember showing up at Throwdown. Um, I'd, I've been to most, almost all of them, and you know, somebody was telling me about your skill set. You know, as this guy from Florida, you weren't traveling too far outside of Florida, right, to play at all? Almost, yeah, nowhere outside of Florida. At the time? Yeah, I mean, at that point, um, I was in college, so I might have, like, occasionally went out to a big event, uh, whether it was Worlds or maybe something in the southeast. But um, for the most part, I was just stuck in Florida at that point. Uh, I had, had to stay close to school to do school. Yeah, and I, I look back at a year like 2015 where you cashed in all but one event. And it must have been a small field because you took third and you, it doesn't show you getting money. Um, and you won $6,200 in that year. Mm-hmm. And now a big paycheck or a decent paycheck at a large event can be $6,200 or more. Or in this case, I honestly didn't look till just this very moment. You took home $7,500 for your efforts in Vegas. How does that feel? Um, yeah, I mean, it's always nice to, to place high and <laughs> cash in on tournament winnings. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't, I don't count on tournament winnings money, um, as mm. for anything. Uh, and I, it's all kind of bonus money for me because I, everything else I feel like that I've budgeted out is, is based on more concrete things, um, as far as other sponsorship deals. But yeah, I mean, getting seventy five hundred dollars for a win is pretty pretty big. So um, I definitely can't complain with that. It's definitely a great start to the year, and um, it's cool to see the payouts grow. Because I know when I won LVC back in twenty nineteen, I made thirty five hundred dollars for for winning. So you know, in a span of whatever four or five years, it's gone up. It's almost doubled. It it has over doubled. So. Yeah, more than double. Um, yeah, I look. I'm looking at your the match play you you had uh, in 2021. That was 10 grand. Uh, Jonesboro mm-hmm. last year, 8,500. Ledgestone, 8,250. I'm guessing that was somehow split with Ricky or whatever that year. Yeah, and then uh, 7,500. I mean, it, this was your fourth largest paycheck to date, and uh, yeah, not too shabby at 7,500 bucks, but. So are you creating, I mean, I guess the real follow-up to that is, are you going to fall in line with, with Paul and Ricky and Yuli? Are you creating any tax shelters or uh, ways to hide or, or shift your money around then? Is that, is that, uh, is that, the, is that the plan? Otherwise known as charities. I mean, charities. Um, yes. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't have any of that currently planned. It could be something that happens in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm currently, you know, just routing my money through the Caymans or wherever everyone else does it. You know, just, <laughs> it's a good yeah. plan. Yeah. It's a good plan. What would be your charity? Like if you had to pick something ask, that, yeah. that you're that you're passionate about, something that you would love to, you know, whether it's inside disc golf or not. Obviously, we've seen, you know, both. What what do, what is what is Calvin passionate? Is it like a save save the rocks? I see you. You know, you you go out with rocks. Sometimes you sometimes you go walking around, you know, the swamp with Madison and and and, and find little creatures. Is it is it save the insects? Like what is Calvin's um, passion? Is outside of disc golf. Yeah, I would say it has probably something to do with like nature conservation. I, I think as far as saving the rocks, that's I, pretty <laughs> against what I do. I mean, I kind of, I kind of, uh, I kind of pick the rocks up and then I cut them up and the smaller that's pieces cruel. and cruel. And then you keep them. Yeah, man. I bet, I bet you, you drown them too, them. don't you? You throw them in the water. You cruel son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do sometimes throw them in the water. Oh my god, um, Kelvin! You, you displace but, them. You, know, you displace I, I them from their home. I polish some of them up, and you know they're shiny afterwards, and they they look better than they ever did. Or at least I think they. Do. I mean. So. I was going to say that that's beauty in the eye be the, of the beholder there, right? Saying mm-hmm. they look better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's only so many ways to polish a rock. You you know that old saying. <laughs> Do you have a rock tumbler like in your van, like one of those ones that just runs for like six six days until they're nice and shiny, or do you do it by hand? I do not have a rock tumbler. That would be awful to have in the van. It would be super loud and unbearable to live in there. But uh, I do have a. I kind um, of, I'm getting you one for Christmas. I, 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 I was just gonna say, I feel like that could be like an ASMR, you know, op- opportunity right there. So, like, get a rock tumbler, record that. I, I don't know. I think we could be on it. Well, some doesn't somebody like have a rock grinder or tumbler or something with them? Is that? Yeah, I mean, there's something? a couple doesn't of us that have. One? Yeah, there's a. I have a flat lap, which is. Um, essentially a flat disc that, that rotates that I can change the plates on it and I can hand polish things. Um, so I can like, oh. and I have a rock saw as, or yeah, a wet saw as well. So I can, I can cut the rocks and then shape them and polish them the way I want them. As opposed to like a tumbler, you just kind of, you're kind of up to the, the whims of the tumbler on how it polishes the rock. I mean, with, with as much traveling as you do, you could like hook it up to the back of the, of the van and just drive let let it let itself tumble i mean we got hours on the road calvin i got ideas here i um i'm I'm glad you have these ideas but um unfortunately you're trying to have me implement them with my time Uh, if you would like to figure out how to hook it all up on the back of my vehicle and self-tumble um you know, maybe, you know, when I'm passing through sometime this year, you can you can hook it up to my my van, you know, when I'm driving from Preserve down south. So uh, there you go. And just, just drive up beside you here. and attach a, a bag of rocks to your van. <laughs> not not weird or suspicious at all. Probably not great for gas mileage, honestly. So we'll, we'll stick with uh, Calvin. Way to find out. We'll stick with conserving <laughs> yeah. the environment. Um, yeah, I mean, Calvin, he's dipping into that territory in disc golf. That's, that's one of my least favorite. It was when someone comes to you and says, you know what you should do. (laughs) And that always is, you know, uh, 
a recipe for disaster there. So uh, thank you, Mark Benoit, uh, for jumping on that. I appreciate that. He, he chimed in with a super chat. I think we can buy some uh, some uh, rock polish for Kelvin with that. Um, Johnny, I, quick side note here. Did, did you have a rock tumbler as a kid? I did, I did. not. I, I personally did not. But honestly, I could walk about 30 feet into my son's room, and he has one he got for Christmas last year that he's never turned okay. on and used. So I All could, right. I could so go Calvin, get one. I mean, yeah, we, we could definitely make this happen here. Uh, someone asked a great question on the board and said, I think I know the answer, but what, where is your favorite place or area within the tours, you know, travels that you like to go hunting for rocks? Uh, for me, I really like to go up to the North shore in Minnesota during the preserve. Mm -hmm. It's like a, whatever, it's only a few hours away. Um, but it's really calm, peaceful and nice up there. And you can find some pretty cool, like superior agates up there. Um, to me, you just, you can't really beat that place. Um, so I enjoy it. I enjoy uh, Minnesota. Uh, what is, um, out of all the people, you know, some of which we know a little more than others that are out there doing similar stuff, looking around like you do, who, mm, I was going to say, who's the most knowledgeable and then maybe even better yet, like, where's your knowledge level on a scale of one to 10, where would you put your, your experience and knowledge level? Are you asking if he's as smart as a box of rocks? <laughs> no, I, I'm just I'm just wondering where, where where do you where do you how much do you know? Um, I would probably say the most knowledgeable about rocks on tour would be Luke Humphreys. Okay, um, yeah, that was my guess. I think he's been looking for rocks and just doing rock stuff longer than me by a significant amount of time. Um, I, you know, I my law my knowledge is uh pretty much all found through through reddit r slash rock counting so um i don't know I, I i know i know more than the average person but i wouldn't i wouldn't say i'm like that knowledgeable i know a decent little bit about i guess semi-precious stones that you can find because i guess that's technically what i'm looking for when i'm out there um but uh i don't know i wouldn't say i'm like incredibly knowledgeable i do think it's Part of the fun in it for me is just kind of like the thrill of the hunt. Um, and that's kind of why I do it. You know, when we had Luke and we talked to him about this years ago, actually, uh, one of the first, I think the first time he was on the show and we really got to know him. I immediately then think now, is any of your objective to sell or trade or are these just purely they collect and you're just going to have this massive rock collection in 20 years? Like what, and I don't want to say, is there an end goal? Because like you just said, you know, the thrill of the hunt is maybe the most fulfilling part. But let's say you have this big box of rocks or stash of rocks. Uh, do, do you ever take them in anywhere or, or think to go to a show to, to trade them or sell them or anything? Um, that's never really been a goal or priority of mine. I've never, I've never put a value, I guess, on any of the rocks. Um I don't know what the value is and I, I don't really care. I think it's more for me. It's just collecting them. And some of, you know, what you pick up is kind of just a memory of, you know, that experience. Um, like I can sit here and 
if I were to go through the rocks I had, I could probably tell you where most of them came from and probably like who I was with when I found these, you know, the rocks. So um, for me, it's just, you know, kind of a memento of an experience and a lot of the stuff that I do end up, you know, polishing and, you know, making, making look shiny. I, I give a lot of that, that stuff away to, to other people. So um it's definitely not like a for-profit thing for me it's just kind of a hobby that's actually kind of a really cool i was thinking uh if you had just a handful of them in your bag just to give to spectators fans someone that you know asks you to sign a disc or maybe they don't have a disc or or for some reason like you know when golf when golfers hit somebody with their ball they give them a signed glove if you ever hit you know a spectator with a disc just hand them a rock you know just hey this is a polished rock from Vinny. I yeah, could, hey, I, I hit you with my it. Turo, but now I'd like you to, you know, okay. take this rock to the hat. <laughs> That's right. I'll give you a, please don't throw it back at me. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, Terry kind of brings up a good point about the future in general. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of peeking at your background. Uh, like a lot of pros right now, especially ones that have signed bigger contracts, a lot of them are kind of settling down and getting houses. Is that in your future? Is this, are, are, you, are you looking for a full-time residence? I, or are you kind of happy with what you currently have or do you have one? And I don't know. Um, no, I do not currently have a full-time residence. Uh, I did look a little this past off season. I will continue to look. Um, I'm looking down in Florida. I enjoy Florida quite a bit. So, but yeah, that is, uh, currently what I'm looking at. I'm looking at finding a house somewhere down here and, um, you know, hopefully that happens this year at some point. I just need to, uh, keep looking and, find exactly what i'm looking for are you looking more towards like uh you know main mainland florida or so to speak the <laughs> the dangle part of florida or the panhandle where we've seen a lot of other disc golfers kind of settle down with like page and uh the the oakleys and uh, like where 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 is your ideal spot in florida I'm pretty happy where I've been, you know, down here, whatever, I guess, mainland Florida, somewhere around Tampa or South. Uh, I, you know, it, it's crazy, but I, I feel like even just as far south as I am compared to the panhandle, it's like significantly warmer at times in the winter. So um, I would like to stay farther <laughs> south than the panhandle. Okay. What what are some of the boxes that need to get checked for your house slash property? And, and do you care about having land or, you know, room to have any baskets or course on? Um, yeah, so I, I don't I'm not really that interested in putting like a course in uh, where I live. Um, but uh, I, I would like to have a little bit of land. I'm not looking for anything that big either. You know, it could be a two or three bedroom house, like three with, I don't think I want anything bigger than a three bedroom house. So probably like something on the smaller side um, and just somewhere down South here in Florida. But yeah, I'm not, not super picky on it. Just want to make sure I find something that will suit my needs. I definitely want to be able to have a couple baskets outside to, uh, you know, practice putt on, I think as far as off season practice putting, it's super convenient to not have to drive somewhere to practice putt. If you can just walk out your door and throw putts, it's way easier to convince yourself to do it and um, keep on top of it and then keep yourself sharp for the, the next season. 
So if you had to, and I don't know how this would ever get set up, but let's just say somehow you were forced to have a roommate at your house. You you own the house, but you had to have a roommate. I, I don't know how where, where, how this injunction happens. Money's getting tight, Kelvin. You need a roommate. Yeah, something. <laughs> I don't know. Not enough Toros or selling or Dracos or whatever. But you were forced to have a roommate. Who who would be on that list? Who would be the top two or three picks for you to have as a roommate at your house, a house you own? Man. That's a tricky one. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to say, you know, who you would pick, especially when I really haven't, like, I don't know, people living at a at a residence is, like, different than even, like, me traveling around and staying with, like, the same people all the time. You know, people definitely have different habits when they exist in, you know, a more stationary place. So a lot of it, it's hard to pick because, you know, I just don't, I don't know what a lot of my friends' true habits are as far as stationary <laughs> that person is. Um, I mean, the obvious picks are like my, my closest friends, you know, and like Zach and Madison. But um, I don't know. You know, not all friends are meant to be roommates. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, Johnny and I know. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, Terry and I lived together for a year or two. We're good. Uh, yeah, yeah. College. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, well, hopefully it never comes that where you're, you know, forced, so to speak, but, um, maybe he's taking an astray. Maybe he's taking an astray friend who just, you know, needs to, you know, with, with those extra bedrooms, you've got one for your rocks and one for a friend. So, uh, huh. Okay. Or maybe two for my rocks or two for your rocks. You know, (laughs) you've got, I mean, you've got one padded room for the rock tumbler. And then, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> you know, soundproof it and whatever you need to do. Like you, you couldn't, you couldn't just hook that up outside. No. It has to be inside. It's got to be inside. It's got. Okay. It's the, needs the warm. Needs the warm. It's too damp outside. It's. There's, I'm sure there's issues. It's got to be inside. Yeah, electricity. Yeah, the rocks have never. Rocks have never dealt with cold, damp conditions before. <laughs> they have issues. They have issues, Vinny. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. That makes sense. All right. Is there anything else you need to share with us uh, before we let you go here? I mean, um, we've gone off the rails. And I don't know something. if there's anything. What? I said we've, we've we've gone well off tangent and off the rails and then some. Um, but I didn't know if there was yeah. anything else you need to share with us. Uh, I don't think there's anything I like need to share. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, there are some cool things in the works. You know, I, Millennium just dropped the new fairway that's going to have my name on it, the Vila. Um, it's a stable to slightly overstable, uh, fairway driver. Um, so I'll be bagging that this season. I was throwing some of that out in, in Vegas. It was the, uh, purple and white disc I was throwing, uh, mm. the Helio Vila. Um, yeah, those dropped in the Helio plastic and the quantum plastic, uh, at Vegas and they will be probably dropping for like retailers at some point, you know, in the coming months is, and then also, you know, I, I have a signature bag coming out with Squatch, you know, later this spring. So I guess those would be things to keep on the lookout for. Um, other than that, you know, just, I guess I'll thank my, my sponsors, you know, Innova Millennium, Squatch, 
Flight Factory, you know, and then the small, I guess, Throw Joes and uh, Whale Sacks. So I think that's everybody. I'm not positive, though. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, we, yeah, one way or another, you get them all. Well, uh, for anyone that's curious, like me, how exactly does a Millennium sponsorship work? Because everybody knows you, of course, to be you know one of the flagship players at Innova, and then clearly Innova makes and molds Millennium discs. I, I think that's common knowledge to the rest of the world. Um, but w- what does that mean for you and to the world when? People like yourself or a Philo or, or I think maybe a Greg Barsby still. What does that mean when we're seeing this additional sponsorship with Millennium? How does how does that work? Yeah, so all Millennium's discs are made by Innova. Um, so they're they're like a, I guess a sister company, and Innova's their main. I guess I guess they're only. They're, they're their molding partner, I guess, is what I, they'd be referred to as. Um, and so Innova, I think there's, yeah, Philo, Greg, myself, and I think Garrett may have deals with uh, mm. Millennium. Um, mm-hmm. And essentially Innova, you know, is our, all of our primary sponsors, but um, our deals with the Innova allow us to have, you know, smaller secondary sponsorships with, you know, their, their molding partners such as millennium or infinite um so it's just a way to uh you know maybe get your name on another disc make a little bit more money and you know you can kind of help grow a smaller company like millennium whether help you out you know to a smaller extent but you know everything adds up over time so um yeah, Innova's still still happy with it because you know they're they're still making money because they're still sitting there molding the discs and selling them to Millennium. Um, so they're they're all. I mean, you look at the bottom of them. I'm pretty sure they all still say whatever Innova mm-hmm. on them in some way, shape, or form. So, um, but yeah, it's essentially just a smaller side side sponsorship, and um, I think it's uh, something that you see like a lot of the top level end of a players kind of do with some of these companies. Yeah. I mean, in this, and, and to be fair, obviously this is not new to the industry in any way, you know, for quite a few years, we saw a lot of players that were sponsored by Innova and then could also be sponsored by Discmania in some capacity mm-hmm. as well. Again, when Discmania yeah. was exclusively having their disc made by Innova, that was for a lot of the Innova players that was allowed. And, you know, Sexton had signature discs, Avery Jenkins had signature discs, you know, this, again, this is nothing new. Um, but I think it's, it's, Maybe understandably, it might be a little bit confusing to someone a little bit newer to the sport, wondering how can you know someone of your caliber be sponsored by Innova, but then also have another disc manufacturer, in, in a sense, be your sponsor. And so, yeah, I just wanted you to explain it to the world uh, for that reason. So uh, the the follow up question though was also what exactly if if you had to compare this disc that you were just describing your new signature disc what would you compare it to innovo discraft molding whatever what would you compare it to or liken it to uh the closest thing would be the the eagle x um okay you like the the helioplastic ones that i've thrown so far are on the overstable side very similar to like those opaque champion eagles I've been throwing for a while when they're brand new. 
Um, and then the quantum ones that I've thrown uh, so far are on the straighter side. They'd probably be like my straight to understable eagles um, that I currently throw in my bag. So um, the Eagle X is, is the closest comparison, and um, it'll definitely be bumping some of those out, you know, moving forward. Have you, you know, I know I shared a few of those, uh, what, Halo Destroyers of yours, that well, that your signature Halo Destroyers um, from a couple of years ago. Can I interest you in maybe a box or two of DX Eagles? Because, you know, those are the, some of the peak of my prime amateur days, and I may or may not have a few hundred DX, brand new, of course, but DX Eagles. Um, I... I'm not interested, um, but I'm sure there's a, a school somewhere where you could donate the entire box, and they would love that. Uh, that's true. That's true. I've got a lot of DX Eagles. It was a go-to I, driver. I, honestly, I mean, yeah. I just don't know how many people are interested in DX Eagles at this point, you know. That may have been, like, top-of-the-line plastic back in the day, but... Um, <laughs> It was it the only plastic back in the day, Calvin. Yeah, yeah so it was, <laughs> it was top of literally. <laughs> yeah, yep. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like how short the life cycle is for, for those <laughs> for how much I play the game. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I once led the Kansas City Wide Open by acing the first hole of the tournament with a first run purple DX Eagle. I mean, I was beating Schultz. I was beating Climo. I was beating everyone for one hole by acing the first hole of the tournament with a DX Eagle. I'm not selling you that one. You, you, you could not trade me any amount of rocks for that one. Okay. Fair. I probably wouldn't <laughs> want to give you any rocks for that Eagle anyways. <laughs> you don't. You don't want any rocks for that Eagle. Trust me. All right, Calvin. Well, we do appreciate uh, you joining us here tonight, giving us uh, almost a full hour of your busy schedule. We very much uh, love having you on and uh, look forward to uh, what you're going to do over there in Waco and the rest of the season. Yeah, I uh, hope we all you know do something cool and get invited back. You're always invited back as long as you treat your rocks well. Take good care of them. Yeah, I, I can't promise that. You've said I've done horrible things to them. So <laughs> I guess I won't be back. <laughs> well, I, I, I will welcome you back. And if at any point uh, it gets back, I get back on track with being on tour on at an event. You and I will have to get back to our nightly check-ins and shows. Uh, the people are calling for it. They're yelling for it in the chat tonight. People want more of that. So I'll bring the beer. You be sober. And uh, maybe uh, on tour and on another event this year, you and I will get together. Sound good? Yep, that sounds good. All right, Thanks. everyone. Calvin Heimberg, again, a champion at the LVC. Uh, looking forward to seeing what he's going to do the rest of the year here in 2023. Uh, be safe, Calvin, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks in Waco. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Have a good night, Calvin. Of course. See ya. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right. Terry, I don't uh, think d- he... Is that... <laughs> Go ahead. I don't, I don't think he was taking me seriously with my rock talk. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know. Save, save I, the rocks. I'm deb- I'm I'm uncertain if I should be offended that he doesn't even want to look at my my DX Eagle collection. I've got some sweet ones, and as I, you can imagine, Johnny, I know you. Plenty do. of them have Kalamazoo stamps from performing well over there in uh, at at uh, Colebrook. So I've got a lot of Colebrook. I got a lot of Michigan based stamps. I've got a lot of first run Eagles. I, when we ran the, uh, the, with the radio station with laser one Oh three, uh, one Oh two nine. Uh, when we ran that, I remember a whole box. Uh, I have a bunch of extra of, uh, DX Eagles with the whole, with the torque center and the fish, the fish yep. fly open. Remember fish all that, fly, right? Yes, I, I do, Terry. I do. <sighs> yeah. I've got lots of DX Eagles, which yeah, I mean, you threw those a lot too, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, there was not a lot of option back then. So yeah, you threw, True, some, exactly. you, you, th- you threw DX Eagles. Cause at the time they were the furthest throwing disc practically that was made. Um, and, and you know, there, there, there were some other options, uh, from, Discraft at the time had uh, uh, like the X clone and they were just starting to come out with like the XL and those things. But even that was the X2, the X2, yeah, the XS, the Express. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously I I did throw them. I've got some, I've got some early T-Birds here, but really, I mean, the, the, the the high point wasn't the DX though, Terry, it was the SE, those, those special edition Mm. blends. Those, those were. Yes, those those were really nice. Um, just a little yeah, bit of housekeeping it. here. Um, for those of you that don't know, or for those of you maybe that are listening on a podcasting app, uh, you're gonna start to hear if you haven't already some embedded ads into our podcast. It started last week, and selling out. If if uh, if. Odds are you've already heard it because I'll probably put it in right after the Kelvin interview. It'll come right in the Kelvin interview, then come back. Yes. So a couple things. One, 
Thanks for listening. Two, if you want to avoid those ads in the future, you can be a Patreon supporter because we do provide an ad-free version with Patreon. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you do not get those ads. I think there's a pre-roll, a mid-roll, and a post-roll. So, and Terry, we've Terry from last week. I want to tell you we made 127 cents. No, no? sex, S-E-K, Swedish something or other. It's about twelve dollars. Oh, Swedish kroners. Swedish kroners. Oh, Swedish kroners. Swedish yeah, kroners. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, like twelve bucks that I looked earlier this Boom. week. Boom. So yeah. Hell yeah. Maybe we could get me a microphone stand so I don't have to prop it up against the desk here when I'm on the road. I don't think we can afford that, oh. Terry. Sorry, but <laughs> anyway, if you want, to, if you want to avoid the ads in the feed, uh, in your RSS feed, by all means, become a Patreon supporter. Otherwise, thank you for listening to the Amazon and the Cerebral ad, whatever, whatever ad they're they're feeding you. Um, go uh, go support those companies. Actually, I don't really. Yeah, and, and you do. Yeah. Uh, what what I'll Clearly, what we can also say, if you want to avoid all of that, other than our cheesy, uh, you know, plugs and rolls uh, ads that we put in here while we're talking, uh, if you're watching live on Smashbox on Tuesday, if you watch it live, you won't get a single ad at any point because you're just watching it live and we're not feeding anything into the live feed. So I got to figure that that out. That's another way. I got to start figuring out another way we can avoid how to insert live ads, Terry, some maybe some ad reads. You know? Yeah, we could cut to some of those right now. Yeah, like cut. Here, there's Vinny's box of rocks for only twelve ninety nine. You too can have. Yeah, and uh, what O'Doyle rules saying we're, we're not bashing. Honestly, I think it's awesome. I think um, I love to see and hear of our pros that have so many interests and in other things that they're doing. Oh, for sure. And of course that's so, you know, still ba- so based in nature and exploring the outdoors and everything else. Like I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm jealous. I am in the sense that they're, they're using the most of their free time to go do something else. That's non disc golf. That's utterly fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that. And, you know, I think James Conrad, speaking of rocks, but James Conrad, I think, just posted in the last day or two something about how much more he's getting into rock climbing and yeah. how much he, he just genuinely loves it. Clearly, he's not unique in that. We've seen a number of other pros. Kevin uh, Jones does rock climbing. I, to it. I saw uh, uh, Ella Hansen actually was just out rock climbing, according to her Instagram. There's, sure. a few, there's quite a few pros that kind of participate in that. Yeah. So all of that stuff, uh, I absolutely love. Um I'll say if it's if it's legal and it's not losing you too much money, uh, I am a big fan of whatever your outside of disc golf hobbies are. It's one yeah. of my favorite parts of it, our interview, honestly, because we, we can talk about disc golf all we want and who threw the best shot and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, we, we talk about that with every player. Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. But, but to me, what always is interesting is to find out what a lot of these uh, men and women are doing outside of disc golf to keep themselves active, healthy, engaged. Because I'll tell you what, if if you did nothing but disc golf on the road, you're, you would probably burn out re- relatively quickly. So, yeah, I think that's uh, going to exactly be the case. All right, Johnny, let's quickly recap uh, what we saw at Las Vegas in terms of our disc golf pro tour weekend. All right, as you everybody knows, because we just talked to him, our winner was Calvin Heimberg. Um, he beat out Kevin Jones and tied for second Ezra Aderhold. There was a little bit of drama on the 18th 
with uh with Kevin obviously not just the way it finished but the fact that he he apparently went OB on that final throw and there was a lot of discussion because I think the post production and live didn't quite show it or clear it up based on mm-hmm. what it was so mm-hmm. when he took a 6 instead of a 5 that tied him with Ezra um to to move on but I believe it was pretty clear he was out of bounds and ended up uh Past the basket, out of bounds. Past the basket, <laughs> to, uh, not just the, uh, not just the out of bounds on the on the initial drive. We're, we're saying past the basket on the attempt. So that ended up giving him a six, tying him for second with Ezra Aderhold. Ezra, who had a phenomenal uh, uh, final round with an eleven under par to kind of come back almost out of nowhere because we didn't see him much on the broadcast uh, because he was kind of down there and he worked his way up. Uh, fourth place was Kyle Klein. So you know Kyle continuing his. Good play at the end of last season with some really good early season play. Uh, fourth place tied with Drew Gibson. Drew, who has made a uh, an annual pilgrimage to Las Vegas and plays well there. So Drew started out a little slow that first round, but ended up you know really putting together a few good rounds to kind of jump up into fourth place. Sixth place was a one Paul McBeth, who did take a double bogey on his final hole. Uh, I think he was kind of running at some things at that point just to try to kind of catch up. That seems to be kind of the nature of Paul's thing. Um, seventh place, my sleeper pick of the season, Zach Arlinghouse, the young, the young kid, 18 years old, just graduating high school, uh, now going on tour full time. Uh, tied for eighth was Matt Bell, Corey Ellis, Matt Oram, Emerson Keith, Anthony Barella, and that's it. So that's technically your top 10 slash 12 um, players in the MPO field. Um, just an overall a, a good event. I mean, from from all sides, everyone seemed to uh, perform well. There was some really good drama. It was, it was nice and uh, competitive. Unlike the FPO field, which we're about to talk about, Katrina Allen stomps the field and comes away the winner. Uh, it got a little close in that final round, but never really, uh, not too scary for Katrina. I think it got within two or three strokes at one point when she took a double bogey, and or a, a bogey, and Missy Gannon took an eagle. And after that, then Missy ended, uh, <laughs> Missy bogeyed, and then Cat birdied, and from there it was just over again. Like there was there was one brief hole where everyone thought, oh, "Is Cat gonna kind of?" Come back to Earth, or one of the other players going to catch her? Nope. Sorry, Cat decides to put put the hammer down and goes birdie par, birdie birdie par, bogey birdie par to close out. She ends up winning by four strokes over Missy Gannon, but honestly, it never even felt that close. I think Cat, you could tell in the front nine that she just not that she wasn't trying, but that she didn't have to put in. Uh, she didn't have to get dangerous at all never once was she pressing i think she was just very comfortable out there throwing and uh and ultimately you know katrina wins the lvc uh like i said second place missy gannon third place holland hanley shoots an, a th- an over a thousand rated i think it was at thought it was a thousand and sixteen final round to shoot uh was it uh 15 under par total so mi- losing to missy by a single stroke um, fourth place was Henna uh, Blumrus, tied with Ella Hansen. Sixth place, Haley King. Seventh place, Jessica Weiss. Eighth place, Own Scoggins. Ninth place, Jen Allen. 
tied with Caroline Henderson, which is the one name probably that almost nobody heard coming into this event. Um, I know she had a little bit of... Uh, I'm actually going to pull up her PDGA because I think she she's had some success on the amateur scene. She's only been playing for... This is literally her third year. In 2021, she played uh, a, a handful of events. She, yeah, she's in won- every different category. In every in different like, category. She like, yep. Rec yeah, women. She played two or three different... <laughs> yeah. Rec intermediate women, advanced women, and open women in her first professional year with three wins that first year in open women um, at the Samurai Showdown, the North Texas uh, Ladies League, and the Par 4 Presents, the Bill Allen Flex Start. So uh, very small events winning just a handful handful of dollars. She only took $335 home that first year. Whereas of this, uh, what this event? Uh, we're in 2023. Hold on, Las Vegas Challenge. She took home $1,025. So this one event is more than she won uh, all of her first year, and and she already matched her second year total. So uh, last year she played a little bit of intermediate, uh, probably because there wasn't really FPO. She did play two amateur women events last year, and then she racked up a. Uh, God, uh, six, seven wins in uh, in open women. So I think she's one of those names that you're going to hear on the FPO field. It doesn't look like she quite has all of the skills to to beat your cats and page yet. But again, only been playing for you know three years. I think she's got a lot of potential, and she's a name that it wouldn't shock me if you hear her uh, crest the top ten a few times this year with the way it looked like she played. Honestly, she is a pretty solid drive and a pretty solid putt. So Terry, do you know much about her? I know a lot of times, sometimes you go down to Texas, you'll cover some of the FPO field. Um, do, do you have any insight on her at all? Or is, is she kind of coming out of nowhere for you as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I will admit that I didn't know her prior to the weekend. However, prior to the final round, in the most uh, respectful yet polite way, I uh, I approached her and her husband, who they were warming up, and you know I wanted to obviously not distract her or prevent <laughs> her from doing any warm up, but I, I was pretty blunt in saying, hey, you know, tell me more about yourself. Uh, the situation it was situational, and the situation worked out. Is what I'm trying to say. I didn't. Ju- I didn't just like run up to her and be like, hey, who hey, are you? Hey, hey, you're about to, you're about to play this final round. Uh, give me all the deets. Um, no, so it, it was really good to talk to her. I mean, just an absolute, uh, kind, gentle soul, her and her husband, super nice. You know, I'll, I'll start there just incredibly gracious and kind and yeah, only been playing a couple years. She has a, uh, she was a very solid softball player. She had a, uh, she got recruited by a D one school for softball and um, junior or senior year, and then discovered that she actually had a, a broken vertebrae, I think is what it was. And rather than trying to fight through life of trying to fix that and or deal with it in terms of softball and what it meant for her career, she then opted not to pursue uh, softball in that sense, but then went on to uh, graduate from college but then went on to teach softball as a full-time job. Like wow. she was a softball instructor. And that's what I said. I'm like, wait, like 
That's like a like not a coach. I mean, but like a full time, like trainer, softball instructor. That's not. I mean, honestly, and, is that is that really that surprising? I mean, I'm, there are professional swim coaches. There are professional yeah, yeah. batting coaches. There are like a softball coach. If you have. Uh, some women who are serious about playing softball, and I stereotype with women because that tends to be what the high schools and stuff are. I know there are men's softball when you get a little bit older, usually like a beer league kind of thing. But in general, when you when you're looking at high school leagues, it's all it's all women's softball. So is that is that surprising that she could? You think she could create an entire career out of that? I mean, that's that's um, pretty amazing. No, honestly, no, no I, I'm not surprised. But I can, I yeah, that there's just that there's enough, uh, and I. Let's put it this way. In Texas, I think that job and that career, it just happens to be more practical yeah, than, say, uh, in, I don't know, Maine, right? Mm-hmm. Like certain jobs and careers and professions. Obviously, if you want to be a high school football coach, I think your chances of, of, of landing that job or pursuing that career in Texas, again, is far more practical than if you're trying to do it in uh, I don't know. Idaho. Pick some other state. I, I was going to say Idaho. That's funny. I was thinking like Idaho. And then I was thinking like Connecticut, like, you know, it's, it's what's in the, the bloodline and what's in the, uh, right. you know, in the, in the water, so to speak out there as well. That's what they live, you know, live and breathe. So uh, I was just a little shocked. And, and of course I love the, the spirit and the idea of it all of, of, of teaching and having a, a career uh, within something that you love. But yes, it was a little surprising because you and I both know quite a few people and you don't know a single full-time softball uh, instructor or no, we just don't know one. That That's why I was surprised. So anyway, uh, that was her career. Found disc golf. Her, her husband had played with some friends and then kind of the typical like, oh, she walked along and didn't really play. And then uh, she said, you know, they, they ended up watching some coverage and whatnot. And her husband specifically was like, hey, I, you know, what we're seeing out here, you're an athlete. What we're seeing out here is I, I think you could contend with some of the women and what they're doing. And sure enough, she picked up a disc, obviously has a competitive athletic spirit to her and was totally hooked on it. And then it sounds like quickly surpassed her, excuse me, her husband's skill sets as well. And she went to her first tournament and um, found a little bit of success and then knew that she has a ton of room for improvement and recognized that, that if she just worked on it. And last year in November, she quit her full-time job and they went, they bought an RV, sold their house, bought an RV and now are on the road, like full all in. And the other comment that I made that you must've missed during the FPO coverage that morning when I did my check-in is she also was then running a gourmet, gourmet cookie cookie bake baking cookie you know side business as well so think of your your bridal showers or your or your baby showers and or your whatever and you're ordering up you know 50 cookies with some cute clever thing on them and she was doing that as well and uh, so she had given that up and gave everything up, and now full time on the road playing disc golf and wins a thousand dollars at this event. Which a thousand dollars clearly isn't paying your bills to keep you on the road for for twelve months out of the year, but a thousand dollars also be, used to be like an insane payout mm-hmm. five years ago for well, for winning, you know, practically. And now here she is taking ninth 
and a thousand dollars. And if that doesn't drive you and keep you motivated, I don't know what does. Uh, like what? What an incredible story. I mean, it, and and no no offense to her current sponsors, but I think she's sponsored right now by Hooligan. And correct. And I, I think she has one or two other smaller sponsors, and I, I'll, I'm going to forget who they are. But debuting on an elite series event like that, not only did she get coverage, which in general can be tough these days, she performed well. She looked the part. Like, she beat a lot of really good players out there. Like, almost all of them. <laughs> and Yeah, and, I mean... And, and for your... A, a debut, a debut like that, you have to be on the the uh, the radar of every major sponsor at that point that is looking for an FPL player. You have to be. And now if, sure. hope, you know, and I, I understand whatever Hooligan and her other sponsors are giving her right now, by all means, you know, stick with them for the year. If you have to do, do whatever you can, maybe they'll up their ante now that maybe they under, fully understand what they're dealing with. It's possible this is. I doubt it. I highly doubt it. It's possible this is a fluke of an event. Maybe she doesn't finish better than 20th the rest of the year. I don't think that's the case based on what just the eyeball test that I saw. But mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, she has to really like her possible future in disc golf when it comes to this. And it it truly shows that, you know, at least right now in the FPO field, we're seeing these women come in with these athletic backgrounds that are able to just pick up and and run and go and and I think that's because for the longest time god I'm trying to say this without sticking my foot in my mouth here but the Crazy, the women I don't have all night I know the women in our sport haven't necessarily been a lot of them haven't necessarily had an athletic background like training sure they've they've been disc golf related and that's the way it was with the men many years ago and then about 10 years ago we started really seeing the, the men in our sport get into and become true, I feel, true athletes. You know, we had a few of them way back when, but now most of the players are some sort of relatively good athlete. And I think we're seeing that with the FPO. If you're if you're watching Kristen Tatar's Instagram, you can see her, you know, the, all the workout videos she's putting out and the photo shoots, but um, that she's doing with a, a lot of sponsors over in Estonia. But we're seeing Holland Hanley Ella Hansen, these women that have this athletic background step in and kind of have a head start over some of the women that really didn't. I mean, look at, look at, we'll say someone like Own Scoggins, zero athletic background before she picked up a disc, mm-hmm. but picks it up, busts her ass, you know, is out there, is one of the best putters, maybe the best putter on the FPO side. You know, there, there would be no one arguing if I said that she was the best unless you wanted to mm-hmm. discuss Alexis Mondahano. But even that it, it own has proven. Yeah. So it just shows that we have there's room now for these athletic women to step in and make a, possibly a living doing this. And it's really exciting to what we're going to see um, in the future. Yeah, and, and it's it's no surprise. So some of the other very successful women that we've seen in our sport, mm-hmm. uh, with their, uh, you know, the, some of them that have dominated throughout the decades or the years, um, in, include the likes of a Des Redding. She obviously mm-hmm. comes to mind with her athletic background. Uh, you th- 
Katrina Allen had an athletic, a very athletic background. Sarah Holcomb. Sarah Holcomb, very athletic yep. background. And now more present day, uh, like you said, a Holland Hanley, but also a, um, a Stacey Ronsley, as the board had pointed out. So, yeah, as, as those uh, athletes find disc golf and then join the ranks, yes, like you said, a head start or a slight advantage or a major advantage, depending on what maybe their discipline was or their sport was, yeah, there's no doubt that they likely will have an advantage over some of our other players who just didn't necessarily um, pick up disc golf from, uh, from the athleticism point of view. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting to see it for sure, and it's going to continue to make it more and more exciting. And even in Holland, who, you know, her background had nothing to do with uh, disc golf, you know, in her powerlifting world and whatever – uh, the fact that it's a mentality, it's a regimen, it's routine, it's a, a work ethic, it's all of those things that I think can factor in so heavily. So, and like you said, same can be continue to happen on the men's side. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting to see for sure. Uh, Annika Steen, uh, another one. You know, she's she Sten. has her background in sorry, Sten, uh, background in in figure skating uh luke also a background in athletics she you know has all these medals from all these different things that she had done i know we talked about it that at the lvc the year before so yes uh, very very exciting what is katie tate's doesn't she also i think has some kind of professional or semi-professional uh athletic background as well so anyway Going to be exciting to see, uh, clearly, as you're saying. Uh, and real quick, as a quick side note, um, you know, not only uh, going back to the men just for a moment was the fact that uh, Ezra Aderhold, with his performance, has technically pulled into the lead of the Disc Golf Pro Tour uh, point standing, clearly early and, you know, whatever. But it's not like Ezra's, you know, fluke by any means either. He's obviously been a solid player for a couple of years here. Uh, but um, nonetheless... Rather, you'd rather be in the lead early in the season than never be in the lead, right? So, I mean, you'll take it. It it doesn't. It's just one tiny snapshot here in at the end of February, but uh, something still to be proud of. Um, yeah, and and I'm just now I'll go back to the women for one quick second. If if you're a a jag off, I guess is maybe a good word, or or a uh, some kind of dick bag or whatever you want to be, that feels like you want to diminish. Cats win by then oh. saying, "Well, well, Paige wasn't there, and Katrina wasn't there." I, I can't, or I'm sorry, that uh, Paige wasn't there, or that uh, Tristan wasn't there. No. You can only beat the people that show up. I, I cannot say that enough times. You can only beat the people that show up. And if Kristen wasn't there for any given reason in the world, and Paige isn't there for any given reason in the world. Guess what? Somebody has to win, and you'd rather win than take literally any other spot. So let's let's get over this idea that we have to diminish anyone's win the second they do. Like you'd you you can I can't say this enough. You can only beat the people that show up, and it doesn't honestly. It doesn't matter. Um, look at cat scores. She had three, and it doesn't show on the PDGA right now for the round one. There's something goofy with it. But I think I saw at one point, three rounds over a 1,000. And then the final round where she was able to walk it in at 950. 
which obviously, as we know, if someone was there pushing her harder, she probably would have scored better. But three rounds over a thousand. I don't care who is there. We didn't. I think we saw that twice last year where a, a woman put up 3000 rated rounds in, in a in an event. Maybe only once. I don't recall for sure. I'm not stat man. Sounds like something Kristen would do. No, it sounds yeah. like something Kristen did. I, I'm sure times, yeah. but um, but but ultimately, nonetheless, I don't, I don't care who's there. Th- that's there's nothing you can take away from that. I mean, I get it. We we you know there. I think there was a a a factoid that Ian had brought up about a Val Jenkins win. She won by like 49 strokes, and I believe her nearest competitor was her mom. For one of the elite mm-hmm. series back in the day, yeah, like I get her it, and Lisa, Lisa Harbor, yeah. yeah, Lisa Harbor. Like, can you diminish that win? Maybe a little bit. You're like, well, who'd you really beat? Blah blah blah. But again, you beat who shows up. This, I don't care who you are. Three thousand rated rounds. Anyone that even thinks about diminishing this win is an idiot. Period. Hands down. Hands well, down. I They're, read plenty of idiots that well, then wanted you, to post I'm, that did the, post that. I'm sorry you read. I'm sorry you read idiots. I know. So, but let's I'm talk. I'm sorry, I did too. <laughs> let's let's so talk. Anyway, about, I, I'll yeah. say it again. Okay, you can only beat the people that show up. Would we? Would the entire disc golf world love to see all of our top competitors at every single event? So you could never try to find like a hole to poke or whatever. Absolutely, of course, we all want it to be competitive. Cat Cat would tell you right now if she was sitting here with on her podcast, she would say, "I would have loved it if Paige and and Kristen were there." I, I you why know, aren't it's we not like she? But why aren't you can why aren't only we de- beat the people that show up? Well, why aren't we diminishing Calvin's win then? He didn't even beat the best player in the world right now. Manabu wasn't yeah, there. Yeah, I mean Manabu wasn't even there. <laughs> he's, exactly. He's the highest right? rated I player, mean, and I'm just, I'm sorry, sorry, Calvin. I guess I should have brought it up when you were here that you know your 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 win barely counts because you didn't beat Manabu, the highest rated player in the world, just, over in over uh, in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I get it. We we would all love to see the best there, but they can't be there for whatever reason. Don't matter. It's done. It doesn't doesn't matter. Uh. From one dumb subject to another, let's talk a little bit about LVC drama. Terry, we saw on each side of the division on MPO and FPO, discs interfered with either inbounds or out of bounds. It's not the first time we've seen it. It's probably not going to be the last time we've seen it. Uh, on the FPO side, Cat threw, Cat threw a shot, Hyzerd. Over the out of bounds, hit a golf cart, stayed out of bounds. Um, probably from, and I, I barely saw it. My understanding is it's, it looks, someone said it was almost certain to come back in had the cart not been there. I, I don't know for there, sure. Let me tell you for sure. Yeah. I would bet uh, all of the casino's money <laughs> and my own that was coming back in bounds. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I, I can't say for sh- obviously how close it was going to be to the basket. It was going to be pretty damn close. Yeah, I was close. within 10 or 12 feet of that happening. Yeah. I would say. Um, in fact, I was yelling four, four heads up, heads up, disc coming in. I was there on the sidewalk watching it all unfold. Of course, my heart broke and sank uh, when I did see it go down. But yes, it was without a doubt 100% on its way back to being inbounds and five, 10, 22 feet from the basket. I don't know, but it was coming back inbounds. <clears throat> I've gone on record saying this and I'm going to go on record again. I blame cat. 
One hundred percent. Yeah. No, I'm okay. serious. I'm dead serious. Like, <clears throat> if you think that you're going to be throwing over an out of bounds area where there might be spectators, you need to know that. You need to warn them before you throw. You need to. It is your job as a competitor. And again, I'm not picking on Cat because we've seen a lot of other players do it. Whether it's an umbrella. I guess that was a little different, but whether you're at the yeah. ledgestone and there are people that are on the, on the edge of the OB and your disc skips, Paul Macbeth, I believe did it at uh, the tour championship when he skipped through a bunch of people on the road and he got lucky and went through. If you're going to throw towards or over and out of bounds area where there could be spectators, if you look over there, like I'm going to throw over there, there's some spectators. You need to warn them first, because if you do not do that, then it's on you. Because then what my if, idea is what if you your probably shot is errant. That's the problem. Then then you're throwing an errant shot. How, how you you can't you can't predict an errant shot. It's it sucks, but I'm sorry. To me, out of bounds is out of bounds. Any almost anything's fair game when it's out of bounds. And I understand our sport is weird. It's not like golf where it's very linear. It's more. I mean, I know there's you know, hooks and slices on the ball. But for the most part, they go straight lines. You know, they don't usually, for the most part, go over a lot of spectators. Our sport is a little bit more different. It's much, it's, it's much less linear in that you're, it's more horizontal, so to speak, where you're, it's big swings. And a lot of our swings are up high and over spectators. But I just keep feeling like we can't, predict where our spectators are always going to be so it's up to the players to understand and 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 try to let people know i mean because if that was an errant shot by cat how can you how can she be upset i I mean again i don't know cat's feelings about it how can you be upset about that if that's an errant shot that you threw over and out of bounds sure it might have come back in but clearly, that is where she was aiming. Because if she was going to end up ten feet from 12, twenty feet from the basket, that is that was her trajectory. That is where she threw. She didn't look at what was there before she threw. She made an assumption based on practice and previous rounds that all right, this is the angle I want to go. This is where I'm going to be. This time, there's a cart there. There could have been a family there. There could have been ducks there. It could have been geese there. There could have been anything. You need to kind of keep an eye out as a player. So for me, anytime a disc goes out of bounds and to come back in it's on the player to to do it would it be great if we could always keep people 50 feet from ob lines sure but what happens when someone throws 50 you know someone throws a roller and it goes 50 feet to the right and it was going to curl back in i mean you can only be so you can only control so many things so that again my personal take on it a lot of people disagree but you know, un- um, until we can fully control everything, which will be never. <laughs> that's where I'm going. Yeah. Um, it is very tough because we do have spectator areas. We do have spectator ropes. We do have those types of things that we're trying to keep people away from the play and away from the action. And as you're saying, uh, if they're going outside and, you know, somebody just posted on the board saying, well, you, you, you're saying you can never throw over OB? No, you can't. But as someone else then followed up and said, when you do, though, you're yep. you're running a risk. There may be something that prevents it from coming back in bounds. And I, I mean, that is a pretty good overall take in that 
you're bringing more factors into play that maybe weren't necessarily intended. Now, clearly, we see a lot of things happen on the course that a designer or an event didn't necessarily intend, but yeah, what happens uh, when a player a, will get creative or yep. or uh, or get you know I don't know. Um, Th- think about like something like creative. a DD, like the DDO where we there's a lot of big skips, there's a lot of left to right or right to left movement. Imagine a group of people halfway through the round brings a picnic table and moves it over to a, in an OB area and sits down there. That wasn't there for half of the other people. It wasn't there for your practice round. That's the angle you were going to take 95% of the time. You throw it, suddenly there's a picnic table there. Even if everybody scatters out and doesn't hit a single person, there's still a picnic table there that wasn't there when you practiced. But it's in the OB area. Like, you have to, I guess, all my contention is, as a player, you have to be aware of where your disc is going to go, especially if you throw it where you throw it. Like, it's hard to have an excuse if if you hit your line and you still hit something, you know, that's like, to me, it's almost like the person that says, well, I aim at that tree every time and I never hit it. Well, this time I aimed it and I hit it. What's going on? Like you have to know where your disc is going to be. So, uh, and I go, I know a lot of people disagree with me. It's yeah. Um, I'll say this, that it is, it is obviously unfortunate that uh, in that case, during the FPO round, there was a cart that was on the cart path. It wasn't out in the middle of a fairway. It was on the cart path, which is deemed OB. And when it when the disc came in, it it was inbounds, went over to the cart path, hit the cart, and then remained out of bounds. Uh, you know, one could argue, like like you're just saying, like what's the right amount of distance that all player, all spectators at all events need to be away from an OB line like that, that I think is kind of the question. And you and I both know that no matter what subjective distance you make that, as soon as somebody throws one foot outside of that, you're going to say, Oh, they need to back it up another five feet. You know, at a certain point, how much latitude are we giving uh, to just that? I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway, um, there so was that happened and that then... happened. Interestingly enough on hole 10 and later, <laughs> During the MPO round, on hole ten <laughs> is when we saw AB throw a a an insane crush. shot. I'm just going to say that a crush. Yeah. He throws a shot. Um, the cameraman uh, hears and sees it coming, gets out of the way, and just as he barely gets out of the way, just in the nick of time, standing directly behind him, who doesn't move out of the way, is a volunteer who was getting distances for uh, getting Bushnell distances uh, for live and or post-production. I I don't know if it really matters. We'll just tell you live and post-production. Yeah. I I don't think it matters uh, in general. I'll say this. I don't believe that we had um, on the live one. I don't think we had any uh, distances this week, but I, but it, he might have been putting it into the live thing and just we weren't using it and or he you know, possible. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I bet you it was probably for live and post-production in general. So, yeah. So a volunteer uh, who I saw that morning um, who had gone out or, you know, gone out with the FPO round uh, before he went out. Uh, it was the first time meeting him. I believe he's local to the area, I believe. And uh, he went out and I just said, hey. You know, my only tip, uh, my own, my only word of advice at that time, not that I'm, you know, a, a Bushnell expert by any means, is I said, you know, 
it, maybe if you pick a spot or two and then a disc lands kind of near that spot, don't feel like you have to go remark it. So if, my point is, if you measure from the tree to the basket is is 200 feet and then someone lands what looks like 10 feet from that tree, just do the math. Do it, call it 210 or 190 or whatever it is. You know, and, and I appreciate that so many people want to be deadly accurate, but let's be real. If if there's a 200 foot shot and somebody puts in 192, rightfully so, no one will know the difference. Um, so that was my only word of advice, just because I see a lot of really excited uh, Bushnell rangefinder people who are great, like great. I love them, but mm-hmm. sometimes I've seen them run to a shot and it's like, hey, it landed right, you know, nine feet from the other shot that you already did. Just do the subtraction, <laughs> you know, within a foot or two, people people will never know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's the only thing I told him. And uh, yeah, he was standing, you know, right next to the catch cam. That disc came in at a distance no one's ever seen before. I don't think ever. And, uh, you know, we say it all the time. If you're turning the catch cam person around, who's a professional, if you're getting them to whip around on a wide open hole, that means you threw a smash, like not an just absolute like, smash. To put it in perspective, not just turn around for our catch. This isn't, it's not like this is a new catch cam. This is the Jomez catch cam. This is a guy who's done it for a year and a half, I believe, maybe two years. I'm not exactly sure when he came on the crew. I don't know. But he's very smart, very knowledgeable about disc golf, knows where to stand. 99% of the time, clearly. Um, and it surprised him because the with the speed that it was coming in, he clearly he was in the 100% the wrong spot, the catch cam. And so the Bushnell guy probably relied on the catch cam guy's experience thinking, I'm in a safe spot. You know, the catch cam guy's here and it should come up right in front of him. Well, Anthony Barella had a different thought about that and just hammered a disc further than, again, we've probably ever seen. That thing was going to go 600 plus feet. That's a 712 foot hole. That disc was going to go 600 plus feet. Just the way. Amazing Mm -hmm. shot. And... The the catch cam dove to the right, his right. Unfortunately, I think kind of left the 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 Bushnell guy out in the wind there because the Bushnell guy suddenly is like, "Crap, there's no one in front of me." The Bushnell guy, I think, tries to go to the left, and unfortunately, it catches him in the ankle or the heel or however wherever it caught him. Hit the ground, rolled into the rolled into the bunker, and that's where it yeah. sat and. I felt so bad for the gentleman. I don't know who he is. I don't want to know who he is. I hope nobody ever finds out who his name. Honestly. Yeah, I think it's out there, but I'm, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> good. Thank you. I, I, I don't care. You could see it in the guy's face. He put his hands in his head. Like, put his hands, put his head in his felt, hands and, and felt. He felt terrible. He felt terrible. He saw it out of bounds. He knew what he just, he, he had done. And I, I just have a hard time. I know a lot of people got on his case online. I have a really hard time doing that. Yeah, it, it does suck. It would be better if that didn't happen. It would have been better if he was in a different position. Um, but ultimately, it's hard to know. It's really hard to know where someone's going to throw a disc, especially Anthony Barella, um, when he can throw as far and as hard as he can. It came at him pretty quick, and I understand he had... You know, 
450 feet to work with, but it, those discs do travel left and right, whether you like it or not. And, and it's hard to know where it's going to go and where it's going to skip to at times. I've been on that position where you kind of panic. You don't know which way to go because there is no right way to go um, un- until you can kind of figure it out. We've seen catch cameras do the same thing, you know, where they, where they just dive out of the way and hope. And our catch cams have been hit, you know, it, they, they've, they've kept discs in bounds. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes where a catch cam guy is standing out of bounds where you, where I just said is, is, you know, where players shouldn't be throwing. They're stationed up. A disc will hit uh, the monopod and kick back in bounds. We've seen it. And the player gets the benefit of the doubt there. This one went against Anthony Barella and, it's hard to tell if that kind of rattled him because after that he he didn't play nearly as well as he had been playing. But also, the, it's unfortunate that Anthony Brella also kind of has a stereotype of getting on that lead card towards the end of the tournament and having a, a, a mini meltdown. So whether that triggered that, whether it was coming anyway, I don't know the answer. I think only Anthony probably does. But I will say that um, it's unfortunate. Do you think, Terry, that we need a new rule for something like no. this? Like an no, option, and, and here's why. Like, here's if, why. Because you of hit exactly what you just described. If you hit something, no, I, I've heard people say something along the lines of, if you hit a spectator, volunteer, cameraman, inbounds, you have the option to rethrow at no penalty. Like that's that's the rule that I have heard put out there. Whether it lands inbounds or out of bounds, Anthony would at that point would be like, okay, it clearly hit the guy. Even though I think you had a discussion today with Murder Mike online, and Murder Mike was saying, I watched the video a couple times, couldn't tell if it hit him. I could see if it hit him. So let's just assume we know it hit somebody. Do you think Anthony should? Do you, do you see a, any negative in the in a rule like that that says? It hits someone in bounds. I have the option of rethrowing, or I can take it where it lies. If it's, um, if it's in bounds, but again, that could be tough. It, so be it tough. has to hit him. It has to hit the person in bounds. Yes, yes, it, it has to hit the person who's in bounds. Like again, out of bounds. I think that's for me. For me, that is All a right, whole separate. Thing. I mean, let's let's Just, get really granular. And let's get granular, Terrier. I, I I'm I'm standing. Uh, we'll use somebody else, even though I, I look like I could be pregnant. I'm standing on the line over by that cart path. I'm standing, my, my two feet are out of bounds or let's just, yeah, my two then feet are out of bounds Then you're out of bounds. My two there. feet are, but my kid is, is, you know, uh, uh, uh hangover <laughs> style. My kids on my satchel in front of me, because I do look like Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> In some <laughs> some ways, people have told me, which I don't think is a flattering uh, comment. But anyway, um, and, but my kid is in my baby Bjorn uh, in front of me, hanging in bounds. I mean, if we're going to really get nitpicky, let's get nitpicky. And the disc okay. comes up, skips up, hits my the back of my kid, who's you know is 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 in the baby Bjorn in front of me, uh, who's hanging in bounds. Well, my two feet are out of bounds. What are we calling there? I yeah. I I kind of call it the tree, you know. The the the, the, the remember the old uh, fake yeah, rule the that, where the branch. tree was yeah, out of bounds, exactly. but it was hanging over and blah 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 blah. No, I, I, okay. I, I so think like, there's one example. I designate okay, I personally. Let, I would designate designate that as out of bounds. 
it hits someone out of bounds. Okay, better yet. I'm standing out of bounds. My uh, my water bottle, my chair, or my umbrella. All three have been hit in PDGA <laughs> sanctioned play in the last five years. Water bottles, chairs, and umbrellas. I have that sitting one foot inbounds. It hits that and goes out of bounds. Does that count? Because it's great, equipment versus a person? That's a great question that I, I wouldn't, you're right, I wouldn't have an answer to that one. I don't know. And, and then what are we, what do we count? I mean, you used the example earlier of a picnic table. A picnic table was displaced. A garbage can was displaced. Somebody mm-hmm. moved something on the course that was only there for some of the rounds, but somebody came to set up, um, you know, during the round that was clearly, in this case, it was out of bounds, but they've hit it and then, you know, had a reaction accordingly. Like, I don't know. I just... All of these scenarios have sucked when they've happened. And every time we've said, we've got to fix that. You know what? we got to fix Brent Bartman. I mean, you want to talk about heartbreak. Brent Bartman, you know, in 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 the with the Cubs and the, not going to the World Series, blah, 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 blah. That whole turn of events. Like, he was in the stands, but reaching over, similar but different, right? Clearly mm-hmm. an interference to some degree. Uh, yet, you know, what Moises Alou or whomever it was trying to make the play, like it sucks. I, I am not denying that it doesn't suck. It sucks for the player. It sucks for the person that did it intentional or otherwise. I get it. L- let's, let's face it. We, as of right now, we have no people interfering with things intentionally currently. Correct. Could we in the future? Sure. At that point, now we have to gauge intent. Hey man, did you did you mean to leave your chair inbounds? Did you mean to to set your water bottle there? I mean, I I just I think it is very difficult for us to 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 use and and like you said, look at look at someone standing right on the out of bounds line. A roller comes through. It's fast and furious. It's squirrely, and it hits someone's foot. As they're like their toes are right on the OB line, it hits their foot and then plops and stays in bounds. And it was had no chance of otherwise coming back in bounds mm-hmm. if it hadn't hit that foot. Okay, I mean, it, like we, there's just there there become so many more subjective calls then as to you know what was or wasn't going to happen. I don't know. I, I hate interf- interference. We all hate the interference, of course. I mean, I think it's crazy. Like if we're going to throw out in a similar scenario, I think it's abs- it feels crazy that if y- you're about to putt for your first ever world championships from 19 feet, all you've got to do is make the 19-footer, and if somebody in the crowd has a foghorn and blows it at right when you throw, you don't get to rethrow. Nope. Like, is it the worst thing on the planet absolutely but currently our rule state you don't that like that's a distraction and you don't get to throw rethrow now every one of your competitors might say man that wasn't fair you know i you should get to reput that where where do we draw a line at a sneeze versus a foghorn mm-hmm. or air horn i guess is what i'm trying to say like all of those things suck i totally agree that they suck i just don't know where you start drawing a line as to what is, you know, and, and I think that's what a lot of people say is, well, interference. Well, interference to what degree? It's a t- it's a tough line to draw. That certainly is the case. And and I, I don't have, honestly, I don't have a feeling either way. Right now, I, I don't mind the rules the way they are. What happens is unfortunate. And 
uh, as Spock Hauser on on the thing says, you know, it's unprofessional. It's an unprofessional look to have stuff happen as often as it does. I don't think it happens that but often. Does it? We 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 see yeah, it, like we see it once or twice a year where something major like this happens. It just sticks with us, obviously. Correct, because it's impactful and it's in the yep. spur of the moment, and it's being and it's being highlighted, or it feels like that moment yeah. when really, you know, we all know that you know you, you gaffed a twelve foot putt on hole seven that that you should have made, and clearly, you know, the whole final whole situation could have been totally different. And I think the greatest, maybe the greatest opposition to what we were just talking about uh, as well, when you talk about interference, look at look at uh, animal and wildlife, like well, that's Paul the third hits a thing. goose. Like yep. Paul hits a yep. goose, someone hits one. Uh, you know what? Henna n- nearly Randy Johnson's a goose yeah, during she round did. number one. She did nearly right? Randy Johnson that thing. Like, <laughs> like sure. Let's say she just connects with it. Like that's the worst luck in the world that she couldn't avoid. The goose, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't know better. Like that's the worst luck in the world. But at what point, you know, let let's say she hits it and 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 somehow it carries forward or it's a perfect shot. As opposed to she hits it and it drops straight down. When are we going to rule? Well, okay, yeah, that was bad enough interference. You get another yeah, one. No. Like in this, let let me be very clear. I'm not trying to sound um, non unsympathetic or empathetic or anything like that. I'm not. I'm not like well, the rule is the rule is the rule. I just think if we're going to start dissecting the rule more. Mm-hmm. You're going down a really slippery slope of, like I said, how granular, how how detailed are we really going to get? And I, I just think it's a slippery slope. That's no, all. I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I just I'd wanted to kind of get your change, but just just the fact of being in bounds, it's interfered with with being in bounds. I mean, again, I I I just keep thinking of nature, right? You and I both know we've played in winter plenty of times. Huge, huge, um, you know, uh, a really heavy tree branch that's got a ton of snow on it falls at just the wrong time and just knocks your disc out of the air. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, that's <laughs> that's terrible timing. But what you slip on a tee pad, like, or some of those other types of things where you're just like, oh, man, that is, that should have never happened or that wouldn't have happened. I, I just, I don't know. I, I'd be I'd be li- up to listening to rule changes, but I feel like I could poke a hole in most of mm-hmm. in most of the uh, most of them. So I, I, I agree with you. I just want to kind of wanted your take on that. Um, yeah, as you had alluded to, the the third and final kind of incident we saw was Paul Macbeth goosing a goose. Um, I, I'll say this. I s- guess what we're going to see it at the memorial this week. Yeah. We will see it. There's going to be coots. I'll use specifically the example of out at Fountain Hills. Yeah. In the first two days of competition, now it may or may not be on film, but I guarantee you somebody's going to hit a coot at some point, and it is going to benefit or likely not benefit their throw. It probably. What do we do? I mean, probably, you can try and shoo them away ahead of time, but they're going to come back, and it, it's the way it works. But I, I will say this: I've seen and heard a lot of people get upset about the the Paul McBeth thing, and I watched that. I don't think Paul was making it another thirty feet, maybe thirty five feet after that goose after that after goosing the goose. It wasn't moving that that fast. Um, where he was going to get up there and park the hole. Is it unfortunate he lost a little extra distance? Yeah, but as far as wildlife goes, you 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 can't 
you can't, as we saw, like with the Randy Johnson pitcher, you can't control wildlife. It just doesn't work. If a groundhog stuck its head up and then suddenly Macbeth took it off, uh, just, you know, there's no, there's, sure. you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, you know, sorry yeah. for the, I mean, sorry those, for the vivid imagery, Terry. <laughs> I know. I just think of like truly decapitating a, you know, a, a groundhog or a prairie dog or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, that sticks its head up and uh, just gets decapitated by a, <laughs> just, some athena come ripping through or something that somehow is that low yeah i i don't know i i understand and i like you know a big picture of course you don't want any interference coming from anywhere but i just i think there's too much nature as well that can Mm -hmm. that can get involved you know we've seen large tree branches fall in the middle of a throw or in the middle of a round you know and you and i both know there's going to be times where a pine cone Specifically, a pine cone has fallen from when the the MPO teed off at at, at noon versus the MPO lead card at three thirty. There's a couple extra pine cones on the ground that absolutely could stop a disc from whatever momentum at whatever time. Is it? It's 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 just random, and yeah. uh, I I don't know how we get how we truly get past that. So yeah, the only way I can anyway. see something would be wording it as of you know if you specifically put in there. Cameraman, volunteer, a person. That's the only way I could see it. But we'll see. I, I don't think there's anything that's going to come of it right away. It's it's just one of those incidents that's unfortunate and and bad luck. And I and I do, like I said, I feel for the gentleman that Anthony Barella hit. I know he was he looked like he was upset. I don't know. Maybe maybe just don't ask yeah, Anthony guess- to sign the uh the Bushnell at the end of the round. Well, um, I don't know if I think this is spoiling it for some, but and I, I'm okay with that. My one of the cameramen who wants to, who's going to be doing work this weekend out here at the memorial with me and the crew, uh, has has tried to design a shirt that suggests Anthony Brella hits him <laughs> in the shirt uh, with a target on it, and he ran it by AB today, and AB's reaction was uh, he chuckled. But I don't think he thought it was uh, as funny as some others. Yeah. Like now, now a random person in the crowd, maybe, but being affiliated, yeah, no, uh, you... with me on a filming crew, not, not, uh, I, I have vetoed that, uh, that, that. Uh, it's still, that it's still a little too fresh. Like if, if someone too soon, too soon as if, say. if this same gentleman came up next to LVC and was like, hey, Anthony, can you? At that point, or or better yet, make socks with little targets on them and, and give them out or something. But yeah, um, well, but yeah, no, it's it's still a little so too question, fresh for that. So this goes hand in hand with 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 our with our you know the guy that told me at the press conference he just keeps it real. Uh, Drew Gibson, then marketing and selling sweatshirts uh, to I don't I don't want to say to commemorate I don't know if that's the right word but to you know, in some way depict this scenario. Uh, it sounds like that created a hubbub today. Is is that what all the cool kids still say is hubbub? First of all, every cool kid a says hu- a ruckus. Every, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Donnie Brook. Um, uh, yeah. So correct. Drew Gibson um, released a sweatshirt today or announced a sweatshirt. I don't exactly know how Drew works. That just said four on it, which honestly in and of itself is a fine sweatshirt. It's a great sweatshirt. Like, I, I think it's, it's actually a really good idea. And I think it, it's a, it's a, sure. it's kind of clever. 
it was the way he marketed it that really rubbed some people the wrong way. And I'm of the nature that in general, I tend not to have hold too many things sacred, including this. I think I feel like you need to have a sense of humor in life. Um, it's an unfortunate, it's unfortunate incident, but I do believe that drew the way drew marketed. It was more or less, Hey, this is in, to commemorate my boy, a B who hit a spectator who basically, and then he went on with some, I, I felt slightly negative hashtags like, you know, move or get off the course or something like that. It was, I didn't like that particular part of it. Um, I think there is. Do you is, feel like it had a, a demeaning and or derogatory to- tone toward the, to the volunteer slash slightly uh, event? Uh, not, not necessarily the event, but maybe to the volunteers okay. slightly like it, um, it, it singled somebody out which I'm, I'm usually not a fan of um, and, and was a little bit, it was a little too direct for me. Okay. I, I, I felt again, the actual sweatshirt just saying four on it. If, if, if he had just fine idea, right? I, I honestly, I kind of like it. And, and I don't say that about a lot of Drew's design ideas. Usually Um, I kind of like it. Well, that's because you're not cool. Like Drew. That's fine. I don't have to be cool. Like Drew. Um, I, I could never pull off cornrows. So um, this sounds like he couldn't either. So they wouldn't stay in his hair. I, I just, I, I didn't love the, the post to be honest. I didn't. And I, I'm, I'm not one to get up in arms about it and I'm not going to. Um, I know that the event itself took it pretty seriously and made a post. Uh, the LVC went, went out and more or less kind of scolded drew and said, Hey guys, you know, this, this, this volunteer, I believe they had said, according to their post, had said that all he did was do his job, listen to the media crew, and was out there and had an unfortunate incident, and that we shouldn't be ragging on him, more or less. And I, I agree with that. Um, so, I mean, it's Drew. I, I kind of take everything that Drew says with a grain of salt and, and just roll my eyes in general. But, uh, I mean, eh, I don't know. It's yeah. What, 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 give me your take on this. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I was just, I, I hadn't fully read out all of it, to be honest with you. I, I will absolutely echo the idea that a sweatshirt that says four clearly could apply to golf, to disc golf, whatever. I love the idea. I, I think it's a perfectly fine sweatshirt idea, but like you said, it, it, it's not just that it was too soon. I, I won't go with that. No. It's that it, it is, as you said, he, it felt like he marketed it directly as a result toward uh, at, at the expense, so to speak mm-hmm. of this one, this one individual. And that is where I think a lot of people certainly took frustration with it. And, and, you know, we could, everyone can argue all day long. There's been plenty of arguing online already. We don't need to do any more of it as to whether or not the guy was in the right spot, you know, whether or not, you know, to what degree of criticism he should be getting, if any. Everybody can argue your own opinion as to all of that. Um, but the fact that we saw, you know, then this, well, seemingly this, uh, you know, monetary attempt to then continue to drive the point home or to make poke light or poke fun at this guy. I think that's where a lot of people certainly um, lost favor of the idea. And, like, and like, yeah, I, I, I said 10 minutes ago, 
If Drew was clever, it'd be socks. It said four on him. Not a sweatshirt. You guy didn't get hit in the chest. Get hit in the ankle well, or the he, shoe. He's, he's going with sweatshirts these days. He's got a couple I, of different sweatshirts that he's released. And hence hence the uh, the sweatshirt. You know, I know, leaky, but still. Leaker sweatshirt. Yeah. The, the disc art music. I don't know what the hell it won. And then the four one. I know. But if, if he's got a little shop set up, get some socks. Again, be clever about it. Don't just. That's lazy marketing right there, Drew. Uh, so the Danish disc game. golf guy um, says, you know, Joe Mez can make Fox piss shirts, T-shirts, but Drew can't make a hit me hoodie. Um, I think there's a huge difference. Uh, first of all, we're talking about a Fox that peed on, on a, a disc, disc during a yeah. practice round that um, e- even if you did want to make fun of the Fox, I don't think any Fox's feelings are going to be hurt in a marketing of this, uh, this, uh, the T-shirts. And I think there's. I just don't think those are even a fair comparison whatsoever. You're no. You're talking about a a funny situation in nature, a uh, very unique, odd situation in nature, as opposed to um, something that dealt with a, uh, an individual. I, I and fair enough. Well, not fair enough. I think some of the challenge that comes is we often see Drew talk about self love. Empathy, sympathy, love for one another, and and things of that nature of of self confidence and and all those types of things, yeah. Which I I totally agree with all of that. So it feels somewhat contradictory to then, at the expense of this situation and of of one person, feels somewhat contradictory just to then try and make a shirt that continues to poke fun at. This at this individual's expense. If the same way he tried to sell it, if he just didn't include the picture of the gentleman in the sand, hundred percent. I feel like it's a very different vibe and feeling. Even even if he almost you know marketed it the exact same way, said, "Hey, in honor of my my boy AB who who hit a spectator, here's my new sweatshirt that says four. Even that, that has I a think, very different feeling has a hundred percent different tone than what he did by showing the guy in in the sand trap. I think at that point you've slightly crossed a line. And again, I I try to find humor in almost any situation. Um, I I just I don't necessarily love this one. That's 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 my take. I'll leave wow. it at that. Somebody will share this with Drew, and then Drew will tell us that we're just old boomers and we don't keep it real anyway. So I old boomers, that, that dude's almost regardless. in his thirties. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, uh, so best of luck on all accounts. Yeah, it sounds like things got heated. I honestly didn't even see all of the no the I, feistiness back and forth. It sounds I, like there was plenty of it today. Quite honestly, I've got other things to worry about with the memorial coming up in terms of getting too caught up in it. But you know, there's there's no shortage of of chatter and conversation about it and if you want to go buy the shirt go buy the shirt if if you don't and you find it distasteful then that's fine too whatever whatever you guys want to do but yeah it clearly created a conversation piece in the last few days and and uh, again there's so much perspective here because when you're an lvc 
assistant tournament director or someone that's worked countless hours to put on an event to put on the best show you possibly can in this in this in these times in this crazy city with all the other stuff going on when there's a negative thing that comes about from it that's amplified it just it hurts a little it hurts a little more we all know that i mean anytime you put yourself out there like the lvc and their massive staff and crew and all the volunteers and everyone else and then it feels like someone is kind of uh you know just that amplifying mm-hmm. a negative situation it it feels a little more hurtful to the likes of scott the lvc the staff the volunteers it just feels like a little a little salt in the wound is what it mm-hmm. feels like so I yeah, can because, understand their perspective as well. Yeah, you put on a, you, you try to put on a phenomenal show. You want everything to go 100% right. And clearly this was I don't I don't want to go as far as say it was a black eye for the event, but it definitely didn't show it, it wasn't the brightest of spots. It wasn't a highlight. It wasn't yeah. a highlight and then for someone to shine a spotlight on it, I'm sure hurts quite a bit. But All right, Terry, we're going to yeah, move on anyway. real we're going to move on here. Um, something I meant to talk about last week that I promised uh, one Steve Hill that we would quickly discuss. Um, and by quickly discuss, I'm just going to kind of bring it to light. I'm sure a lot of you have probably seen, but the 2023 Disc Golf Growth Report um, out on UDisc. If you go to UDisc.com, you can go out to their blogs and take a look at the growth report. It was it was posted on February 15th, and it really kind of shows that Disc Golf has, you know, or is continuing its staying power based on what's going on. I, it's, a, it's a great read. I do recommend you go out there and take a look at the, uh, the fact sheet that they have and the reports and just read the blog uh, of, of what they have out there. Um, there. There's a downloadable fact sheet. If you are someone who possibly is trying to sell disc golf, maybe to your community, to a parks department, these are phenomenal resources for you to take to your particular uh, parks department or region or whoever you need to deal with and show them that this sport is here to stay and it's only growing. So please go out and take a look at the 2023 growth report from UDisc. It is uh, it's it's worth its weight in gold. Honestly, it's it is one of those resources that we are very, very lucky to have. So that's kind of all I have to say about that. I, w- I just wanted to make sure we got that out there for everyone in case in case they were under a rock and they missed it. Like it. I like it. And then also, I guess if we're talking about some other positive things, um, gentleman reached out to me earlier today, and I think there's going to be more in-depth conversation about this at some time later, but I did want to quickly throw it out there. Jimmy Keep sent me uh, something earlier today. We've seen, I've seen him play in Florida, Georgia, He's worn a Pikachu hat. He's worn a cowboy hat. He's he's uh, he's a very entertaining fella out there. Uh, but he did mention something to me. He said, I started a nonprofit foundation called Miracle in the Woods Foundation. We specialize in uh, specifically in hosting folks with special needs and disabilities uh, to enjoy the outdoors at our lodge in southwest Georgia. And he just wanted to get a little news out there. I'm going to have a conversation with him in an event uh, when I'm in Florida uh, where I'll see him at an event or two. I've done an in the bag with him. And, uh, you know, he's a contender at some events and whatnot, but as a heart of gold. And I, I did want to just quickly shout out uh, him out the fact that they started a uh, this nonprofit foundation uh, to work with 
getting folks, as he says, folks with special needs and disabilities enjoying the outdoors at their lodge in southwest Georgia. And of course, that's going to be somewhat regional, uh, but I'm, I'm sure the global effort of anyone wanting to support something like that, uh, I'll get more details on it and report back or have an interview with them or something. But I wanted to throw it out there. That's great. The only other thing I have to say is the uh, uh, release today was the 2023 World's Invite Lists what? For, for Pro Worlds, Junior Worlds, Master Worlds, and Am Worlds. So if you feel like you quite possibly made the list, go out and check it out. Make sure, make, let me say this, make sure that when you have the opportunity to register for an event, you do so at the first available opportunity. You would hate, hate, hate to be a pro get on a waiting list especially when you qualify for some of those early registration lists i mean it just kind of maybe looks bad if for some reason you're on a waiting list at a major and you're not sure if you're going to get in and play has anybody done that i've known a few few people in the past that have done that and there may be one or two people that are sitting on a waiting list for champions cup yet so that are that, that are relatively big names maybe even world champions who are you talking about? I think James Conrad's on the waiting list for Champions Cup. Ah, as last I heard, yeah. He, did he did he miss the deadline? I, I think he, uh, might he must have missed, have missed it. it in an in invite wave. Correct. And then I know naturally the the rebuttal by the whole world would be, "Hey man, they should just be in there." I mean, yeah. you are you have an invite, yet, but sometimes you got to click an extra button or two yeah, yeah. to secure your spot. And it sounds like what James may uh, he, clearly like some I'm, of our players he, probably yeah. just. Uh, Maybe he just overlooked let the, it. Let the deadline slip by. Correct. Uh, and and, we, uh, and I understand J- James isn't one that's sitting in front of his computer all day long waiting for the button. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Exactly. Waiting for things to click. But uh, I'll, I'll have to take a look. I know for a while he was on. Maybe he got in now. I don't know. I'm not. I haven't exactly looked in the last like two weeks or so. But it just in general, as a good word of advice well, for all of you, even if you're not pros, if you're an, if you're an am or whatever, if you if you even think that you're going to go. Register for the event. You can almost always pull your money back later if you find out. Well, here there, there's a number. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at 32 people on the waiting list. Casey White, Evan Scott, Tim Barham, Luke Humphreys, Noah Meinsma, Matt Dollar, Clint mm-hmm. Kelvin, Harris Reed, Nate Perkins, Zach Arlinghouse, James Conrad, Chandler Fry, Austin Hannum, Kevin Jones, Andrew Presnell, uh, just to name a few of them, Garrett Gerthy, um, just to name a few of them. And on the FPO side, Casey Peddington, Paige Shue. 2018 world champ, Stacey Haas, uh, Leah Sinegini, Jessica Weiss, Haley Childs. And many so, of those, I understand, because they didn't qualify and their maybe ratings aren't quite high enough to get into that first wave. So I, sure. a lot of those people I can completely understand if, if, you're, if you're on the waiting list. There's two or three names sure. in there that I, I look at and go, you had your chance. Uh, sure. But, but ultimately, just... A good word of advice, because I, I know if that stays the way it is, we're, we're when the event comes up, you're going to hear the, the naysayers be like, you know, just like you said, these people should just be let in. And it's like, no, they shouldn't. So um, uh, also within our in our well, within our purview, but not maybe. In, and you feel free to chime in more. Uh, the the other some of the other big news that I have not touched uh, largely uh, because the news cycle has been so big, uh, you know, we saw a lawsuit. And was that even before our podcast last week that we we saw the lawsuit? Maybe it was since then, but uh, the lawsuit 
of Natalie Ryan. I have not read. I haven't even gone as far as reading it, unfortunately. I haven't uh, either. But the, the gist of it is that, uh, from what I understood, is that lawsuit was being filed from Natalie Ryan, officially been filed uh, from Natalie Ryan, and then naming um, the OTB Open, naming uh, the tournament directors, which are uh, Ten- Sean's. I think it- they go by... Thousand rated, thousand rated, rated or um, uh, OTB open and thousand rated, and then maybe what DGPT and PDGA as I well. I'm guessing both those two entities. Yeah, and, yep. And and I, I I almost don't even want to carry on any farther because I simply do not further. I simply do not uh, have any other knowledge other than what I briefly heard secondhand. Uh, but yes, and it sounds like honestly, there's been a couple other podcasts and people that I think have probably already talked it to death. So at this point, there's not much you or I are going to add to it. Um, But uh, I I will make of note uh, a couple quick things. One, um, I'll just flat out say it. You are a piece of shit if you send anyone a death threat, no matter of any category of, of ethnicity, race, person, like any kind, obviously, you're just a, a piece of trash. And then some uh, Natalie Ryan posted on her wall or on her Instagram, Instagram. yesterday. She posted a, a screenshot of essentially a death threat that she was had been sent recently. And I don't care where anyone falls on any political or or sexual or any other spectrum of any kind on the planet. Just at no point, no matter whom you may love or hate. Death threats are just obviously absurd. And um, so she had posted that. And also uh, then of of news, I would say, is that because this event this weekend that I'm at, the Memorial, uh, Natalie is eligible to play per PDJ rules. She is eligible to play here at the Memorial this weekend. Uh, I'm sure that will be received with some criticism, and I'm sure that will be received with some praise here nor there, um, I, I'm sure it will be a uh, debated conversation that's going to unfold. Uh, and and I don't want to say largely provide a distraction, but um, certainly will be a topic of conversation just because she has effectively been banned from playing in the pro tour events, the elite series, the majors. And now this weekend at a sizable A tier, she will be playing. So um I don't really have a follow-up to that other than I'm, I'm expecting, unfortunately, to see more chatter, pro and con, uh, or for and against. Uh, I'm expecting that that's going to dominate some headlines this weekend uh, one way or another, regardless of her performance. But it will definitely dominate a headline or two. So anyway, um, yeah, so obviously that kind of segues right into Memorial this week. Uh, we've got a bunch of cameramen. I have a bunch of cameramen coming in largely from the Midwest this weekend. I'm going to do my best to get as much coverage out as we can. I want to make pretty clear that I have no official promises to be made. We have no <laughs> official contracted obligations to make. Um, I we It's clear you want footage and you want as much of it as possible, as soon as possible. I understand all of those things, uh, but just know that there is – there is genuinely no contracted obligations and we're just going to try and capture 
and release as much possible content as we can. I think formats are going to change up. You may see single cam. You may see some some regular A, B, throw, catch cam. You may see a three-camera operation on any given time. You may see a highlight piece. Like, we're going to play around with a lot of different things this weekend. And um, we, we really only have one and a half uh, hardcore editors on staff, me being one of them. And I was going to say do everything me, I can to, <laughs> to not work a 20 hour day for the next four days. Let me take a days. wild guess and say, we see some, a few rounds of footage and then you store some footage until the off season when suddenly you're going to know that like, like, Hey, guess what guys? I got a third round one camera coverage of, and it has Kale LaVisca and Stevie Rico or something crazy. Yeah, there's there uh, again. We all know you're going to take it. <laughs> no, no, I, I want to take it day by day. I know. Again, I, I do not want to uh, truly work myself to death this week. And we're going to do the best we can with what we have. Um, I, you call it a beg or a plead, but uh, any things like Patreon support go a long way to making coverage of mm-hmm. an event like this even possible whatsoever. There's no other camera crews here. Um and uh, we've got latitude, a latitude to do whatever we want uh, within where we are. But that doesn't mean we can do anything and everything yep. instantly. So that, that's that's my plea. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy. We're going to do the best that we can to give you as much coverage as we can. So um, outside of that, I don't. I don't know if I have a, a lot more than that. No, I think that's kind of what's going on. Obviously, like I said, Memorial. And then in a, if you're looking forward to the next Pro Tour event, it's going to be Waco in two, basically a week and a half now. Uh, we'll obviously talk a little bit more about the Memorial next week, and we'll probably kind of get an early prep on Waco. Hopefully, uh, yeah. Ho- hopefully everybody is enjoyed the coverage from this past weekend. I think uh, technology-wise, it went relatively smoothly. I think there was a little... Someone said there were some hiccups for some people on hole 18. Um, uh, th- I'll say this from a broadcast side, from our side, the control room, everything looked great. So, you know, I- I'm sure they'll investigate that and try to figure out where it originated and wh- what the problem was. I heard some people didn't have a problem. Some people did. It's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm not denying that anyone didn't have a problem. So, uh yeah, ultimately, I think uh, things are going pretty well. It's good. It was yeah, a good. And it was a good start to the season from the production side, and I think a, a good start from the competition side as well. Yeah, I uh, I agree, and I you know we saw some other things that we didn't really touch on. Somebody just asked in the comments. Uh, you know, the FPO obviously uh, we saw the announcement of having FPO over on Jomez. Not only that it's happening, but then also that the two hot geese are your FPO commentators. Hong Kong. And uh, seems like they were not surprisingly, they were uh, well received. Uh, the little bit of feedback that I did see or come across seemed to be largely positive, almost almost exclusively positive. In fact, again, not surprised by that. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it, it is kind of funny to think. Uh, you know, and I know there was some confusion. A lot of people asking about the the backstory to why they're called two hot geese. But it's funny mm-hmm. to think that that was that was three years ago to the weekend, even three yep. years ago to the event on your it channel. Was, it was on my channel, but it was February of 2020. Uh, I had just come back from Thailand, and 
then too. Uh, just come back from Thailand. Las Vegas was kicking off our year. I believe it was still in NT uh, on the national tour at that point. And yeah, it was. And I had been contracted by Innova directly that the Disc Golf Guy channel hosts or produces the FPO coverage. Uh, I made the the biggest mistake of that weekend was staying at the uh, Silver Sevens. I don't ever recommend anyone do that in Vegas. But uh, me and Matt Graham from the Nick and Matt show. We were the two cameramen and editors. There, and, wait, there uh, are I, there I, are mortal enemies. What's going on? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, Matt and I, you know, had put together the edits and everything else. And I had reached out to to Madison and I said, "Hey, how about you and Erica come do commentary?" And uh, you know, I had I had taken some B roll during the intro of Go Figure the Geese out on the course and. Uh, as they were watching it, I think I had geese in multiple intros for that exact reason. And they, uh, they, they picked up the name, you know, two hot geese or ran with it after they wondered if I was implying that they were two geese on the course. Cause their so names that's came a little... up over the, the geese B roll. There were two geese, two exactly. names, you know, that's. So for anyone wondering, uh, yes, that's, that's the uh, bigger backstory. I know some people had asked and they had shared that story. So, um, no surprise again. And I've done some other practice round stuff with them in the previous few years uh, on my channel where I've lent them my camera. They mm. shoot a practice round. I do the edit and we put it out. So it's it's been an honor. And then, you know, of course, they worked with GK Pro, uh, who worked so tirelessly last year to provide all the FPO coverage. I haven't looked at the stats and the numbers I'm in looking terms at them, of how. I'm looking at them right now. Yeah, what's it look like? Well, it looks like day day one. For this is for the FPO coverage on the Joe Miss channel. Um, day one, round one, really good response. Almost a hundred thousand views on the front nine, and then the back nine dropped about fifty percent down to forty four thousand views. The mm. rest, the the rest of the weekend, though, not I don't feel it's much different than the GK Pro numbers because you're looking at, um, I, and I think the GK Pro numbers averaged anywhere. Sometimes they would get 10,000. Sometimes they get 40,000. I think it just depends on who's on the card and the event. But these are pretty consistent right at th- between thirty and 40,000 views for each video. Um, relatively speaking, the MPO are getting 160, 130, 150, right between 150 to 160,000 views. So, I mean, the the FPO coverage is getting a fourth to a fifth of what uh, what the what the MPO v- coverage is. So, I will say, moving it over to Jomez, it seems like it's a little bit more consistent as far as what the views they're getting at a little bit higher rate, but not not to the extent not- that what some people thought it was going to get. Some people were thinking they were going to average eighty, ninety thousand views. Um, just based on the number of subscribers Jomez has, but we're, mm-hmm. we're we're seeing that it's still sitting around thirty to forty thousand views. So maybe that goes up when people kind of start to get start to realize how how good the commentators and such are, and we'll see where it moves from here. But that's that's where that stands right now. Okay, yeah, and and I I would expect yeah a lot of those numbers to climb throughout the season um, for for the viewership on the FPO side. But, you know, are we going to see it uh, consistently be half, consistently be two-thirds? I, I, I think that's a little bit of a – I mean, I'd love to see it be equal or, or greater or whatever. But I think the reality is we're just we're, – we're not 
likely going to see it. Um, and I'm guessing maintain more than half of what the, MPO does. And, and granted, these numbers you have to understand for the most part, it was kind of felt like after the first round, Cat had this event in the bag that she was sure. she was playing very well. It didn't appear that anyone was going to catch her, so maybe that pushed down the views after day one a little bit. For some perspective, sure. for some some perspective, I think it was day two or three. Mo had said that we were just just over fifty percent of the views for FPO and MPO. So the FPO was just over fifty percent of what we were getting for MPO. So not bad, um, but. You know, that, that's yeah. a perspective on, you know, live versus post and live versus live and MPO versus FPO, just in general, just so everyone kind of has a good good idea. Yeah, it'll be interesting, to again, just to see how it shakes out or continues to shake out throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the year. Um, I think that's about all that I have. Yeah, I know you need to get some work done. You said you might even need to pick some people up from an airport. Um, so we're, yep. we're pro- we'll probably forego an after show tonight. Um, but next week you're going to be back in the studio. Is that right, Terry? Unfortunately, for All the right. first time in five weeks. I know. So Maybe next week, weeks. I think what, uh, what we're going to do I go is- to Thailand. No, you're not going to Thailand next week. Um, <laughs> I, wish I, was. I think next week we'll do a big giveaway show because we have a lot of giveaways. We got like four giveaways that we're sure. due. So we'll kind of maybe spread them out throughout the show rather than just putting them all at the end. And we'll just do a massive giveaway. So if you're if you would like to be eligible for that giveaway, you can sign up at patreon.com slash smashbox TV. And next week we're going to be doing a lot of giveaways um, and we'll we'll just get that kind of kind of get that ball rolling and back on track. Yeah. And uh, again, somebody reached out to me just today saying they just had received their Patreon disc for the year. Ooh, uh, nice. They had asked and uh, they had asked specifically what they are and uh they were either you got a steady or a steady bl or one of each or whatever the case might be but they were steadies from dga this year and um yeah so uh, because some people are saying there's like they couldn't find any marking on them whatsoever so very very (laughs) valid and fair question then I i hadn't thought about that but uh, steadies or steady BLs are what were given out to all the Patreon subs. If somehow you didn't get one and you abs- or, or two, you absolutely know you for sure should have. Uh, I do have a few that were returned to sender that are back at my house that I haven't been able to address because I haven't been home in a few weeks. But uh, we'll get those taken care of or I may have to reach out to you. Somebody said today, they well, they only just got theirs recently because they had moved and somehow it finally got forwarded on to them, even though they were sent out weeks ago. And uh, I said, well, that's also a great reminder. So for everyone out there, if you're a Patreon subscriber, please update or keep your address updated within Patreon because you could win a weekly prize. And if we pull straight from your address on the weekly prize drawing, we want to make sure that it gets right to you. So That's right. So next week we're giving uh, away nothing but either DX Eagles or LVC Firebirds. Take your pick. Um, <laughs> yes, th- they're worth yes. about the same. Uh, so it just yep, depend- depends. Depends who you ask. You know, uh, value is in the eye of the beholder. So sign up at Patreon.com/slash/SmashboxTV and be eligible for our giveaways. Yes, that is a good idea. And uh, this week, as you guys can imagine. Every single round, I'm going to have some form of a giveaway. Uh, so just plan to do all, like I say, the, the YouTube things, like, share, subscribe. But then also, uh, I'll probably challenge you guys with a comment or a question every single round. Every nine holes that we release, e- even if I don't remember to put it in there, 
um, leaving some form of comment will always make you guys eligible. So uh, just prep for that. Hope you enjoy the action this week. Uh, we're going to work our, our asses off, honestly, to try and get out as much as we can in whatever timely fashion that uh, is available. So looking forward to it. Terry's channel is the right. disc golf guy on YouTube. Go check it out. Yes, coverage. yes, please go check it out. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not going to announce them. Well, maybe, maybe I can. But let's quickly see. Just a, as this final tease before we let you go, uh, they were talking about assembling some feature cards uh, at the memorial here. I don't know if they have announced. I think they. Oh, they have announced tea times. What? All right. So here's here's your insight. In case you're wondering, here's the quick insight as to uh, at least first day's coverage. That's, that's, that's as far as I can promise at the moment as to what will be filmed. As of right now, uh, I'll, I'll just start with MPO because it's the first one on the list. MPO at 2.40 p.m. on a featured card that will be filmed will include Paul Uliberry, Vino Makula, Connor Rock, and Gannon Burr. So Connor... Gannon, Paul, and Vino. Those will be one of the feature cards. The other, yes, the second, you heard it right. The other feature card, let me see if I can find where they put it. Okay. The other feature card at 1144 will include Aaron Gossage, the goose, Anthony Barella, Isaac Robinson, and Andrew Marweed. So the, that card will also get covered. FPO, you say? Yes, we got you. The FPO feature card, Owen Scoggins, Jennifer Allen, Anakin, and Sarah Isaac. Anakin Sten and Sarah Isaac. And what did you say? You want Masters coverage? No, you didn't. Yes, you're getting it. <laughs> uh, what? Steve Rico, where the F you at? Trying to cover Masters and you bail out like a little Punk. Master Punk. Masters coverage. First round. I don't know what's going to happen after first round, but first round we're for sure having the OG KJ. KJ Naibo is going to be on there. Steve Brinster, Kale LaVisca, what? And Pete Uliberry. And in FA60. We are caught. Okay, I'm just that one we couldn't get to, but we were going to. That would have been next on the list. So anyway, four cards will get filmed. Just hold on to when they're going to get released. But four cards are going to get filmed first round, and we'll take it from there. So pretty exciting. I can't wait for it, honestly. And some nasty weather is rolling through tomorrow. All to be gone by opening day on Thursday. First two rounds are at Fountain Hills for all of our competitors. The last two rounds are at Vista del Camino. There you have it. All right, I've officially given the plugs. That's what you'll see. First day coverage. Sound all right, good? Terry, close us out here. Got to thank Calvin Heinberg. El Toro himself? I don't know. I, I can't pronounce his other disc, uh, so we'll go with the Toro. Uh, thank you to the geologist, Kelvin Heinberg, for joining us. Congratulations to him and, of course, our FPO champion on the Disc Golf Pro Tour side of things in Katrina Allen. Congrats to them both. Great watching both. I 
saw every single shot and uh, was so happy to be out there. Uh, thank you to all of you guys for joining tonight, wherever you came in from. And if you're watching this or listening to it, I hope you enjoyed the ads. We, we told you the secrets how you could go ad free. But thank you for supporting us over at Smashbox TV. Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy, signing out from Arizona for Johnny V and episode 444. We'll see you next week when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.